Did you know only 9% of construction business owners make more than $200,000 a year? We believe your business should make your life better. We work with construction business owners to systemize their cash flow, workflow, and crew so they can become involved but not required. Have a listen to our podcast if you want to be in control of your business and your life. If you want to get there faster, go to involvedbutnotrequired.com. Hey guys, uh, we're going to do a business mastery workshop today. So what we're going to do is cover a whole bunch of stuff uh, fairly fast. Um, this is pretty much what we would cover in Thriving Tradies over a year. Um, so it's going to be fairly high level. We're going to yeah, go pretty fast to so take notes. Don't get overwhelmed with it. Um, it is just to give you an idea of all the things we would cover in a year. And also, if you go, look, I'm just not quite ready yet to be in a position where I want to jump into an ongoing coaching mentoring program, but I am ambitious and I do want to scale my construction business, you can take some notes off this and it will get you going. All right, we've got lots of bits of tech here to work together. Now, um, all uh, chats are turned off because this has been uh, broadcast onto several different platforms. Um, but if you've got questions, reach out to us afterwards. Um, and we will answer them as best we can. All right, so let's see, because I know you guys will be keen to see my uh, wonderful faces for doing this. So let's add that in there. Let's have a look at uh, what we're going to cover. Uh, oh, we've got a message with a couple more people coming in. Guys, uh, we will send out a link by text, um, so we are going to keep going. I'm not going to slow down for people as we go through. So as I mentioned, um, we're going to cover some uh, key aspects of running the business and this is focused specifically for trading construction um, but realistically this this works for any business um, these are skills for business so it's designed to take people from being a tradesman um, to to being a business owner um, we are going to do it as i said high level strategy so not execution execution is where the rubber hits the road um, this is simply going to be um, looking at it from a point of view of uh, how to think about it the strategy is the fun bit this this stuff here is the bit that takes the work uh, I've said pick uh, two to three key points and, and focus on them. I would absolutely stress that today that, that you know, don't try and do everything at once. Um, business is more likely to die from indigestion than starvation. If you can focus in on a few things that are going to deliver the best, highest level results, that will give you the most amazing value. Uh, and, yeah, so obviously uh, we work with trading construction businesses um, and we take them through this stuff. We, we tailor. Uh, workshops and uh, packages to fit their individual needs. Not everyone's at the same level. Um, we are pretty picky about who we work with. We do have sort of a general program where you can just watch stuff online. Um, pretty much anyone's welcome into that. Uh, if you want to come to our, our seminars, our retreats, uh, the stuff that's really going to accelerate, um, yeah, like we offer some pretty uh, amazing guarantees. Like if you don't get value in the first two months, we'll give people back their money. We'll also pay them 50 bucks an hour every hour they offer tools working with us now we're not just going to give that to anyone who's going to shop because they can't make money on site um, and also we don't want to end up with a whole bunch of she reviews on online i'm just starting this up after having built my own carpentry business over a number of years um, i want to work with people who can actually make it happen so i'm going to be pretty picky about who i do or don't take um, but there's options there like this if, if that's not you if you don't fit the model so start with the end in mind um, this is sort of key, and I was going to cover it at the end, but we really do need to cover it first. And we do this in our very first session uh, before we, we cover anything else. 
um, with the guys who jump in on our programs. So what I mean by start with the end in mind, um, guys, if you don't know where you're going, then how do you know what to build? Like, yeah, I'll put, put an example here. You know, if you're, you want to get four staff this year and then 35 staff and then 55, 107, 120, right, okay. You need to know what that is before you can just go out and start doing it. Otherwise, you might end up with 20 staff. I think that's all right. Um, you might end up, yeah, and, and there's more to it than this, by the way. This is just to, to give you a, a starting idea. But know your goal. And, and by that, where you want to start is actually up here. Now, I've put 2025. 20, if you can do 10 years, that's the ideal. What's your 10-year goal? Head there. Um, if you can think 10 years into the future, then we work back. You know, we, we come back to year nine, eight, seven, six, five, and so on until we get back to year one, which is what we're going to do in the next 12 months. And then from there, we break that down into three quarters. So, you know, 90 days each, one, two, three, four. And then this one, which is the next 90 days, is what you are going to achieve as your top priorities, top three to five things in the next 90 days. Yeah. So if you know this, your 10-year goal, we can work that backwards to being what am I going to do in the next 90 days? Um, and you know, that then becomes what am I going to do each of the next 30 days? And accountability takes you to the next level below that, which is what am I doing this week? What are the top three things I'm going to get done this week? Because it's too easy to get caught up in all the day-to-day -day noise of running the business. So you need the clarity on what small steps I'm taking this week that lead to my 30-day plan that are going to take me to my 90-day plan, which cumulatively will mean that I achieve this year's goals. And if I achieve this year's and next year's and then my five and six and seven and eight and nine and 10-year goals, I'll be where I want to be. Otherwise, you'll be somewhere in 10 years, probably. Um, you know, we never know what's going to happen in life. But if you're alive and around in 10 years, you're going to be somewhere. You can let that happen by random chance or you can be in charge of your destiny and put it there. Now, yeah, you know, people have got all sorts of opinions on destiny. I'm not going to get philosophical on you guys, but I definitely believe that I am able to massively influence how my life goes by taking control of it. So that's really what we're talking about here is take control of where you want to be. Now, I've put down a few things in these signposts here. Great. You know, it's good good to start with that. Um, but, you know, I, I don't just want you guys to fix that on stuff. I want you to think about what else do you want in each of these. Um, so the sort of things that I would suggest um, that you'd want to have would be revenue targets. Um, there's no good in just going, look, I've got, um, you know, by the end of 2023, I've got uh, 55 staff. Um uh, but my revenue's shot. So, you know, how many dollars do I want in revenue? Now, just as importantly is watch my percentage of profit on that because you see plenty of companies who do this. They scale in staff. I know I'm writing on things that's making it hard to see, but there we go. Staff and revenue, but their profit stays the same as when they had four staff, you know, I've seen companies with over 100 staff doing 10 million plus revenue where you ask the, um, the founder out for dinner and they're like, oh, they're thinking about it because they can't afford it. Like, what the hell are you doing? They're working 100 plus hour weeks and, and they're taking home 50, 100 grand. Like, what's the point? Go back, you know, with four staff, you can work hard, work half the hours they are and take home more than 100 grand. So, you know, be clear on 
what are the things? And so this is just to give you an idea that the way I would do it when I do this is have those key points for each year that, that matter to me um, looking ahead. So that's uh, just an example of a roadmap. What I would suggest you do is not start with business though, because when I talk to most business owners, they're really clear on what they want to do with business, but no idea what they want here. Now, if you're in business, the business is there to serve you. If you've got partners in your business, it's there to serve the interests of those business partners. If you're not already a company, we'll talk about that later, you want to end up being a company for a whole bunch of reasons. But as a company, the company has a legal responsibility to serve the interests of its shareholders. If you're the only shareholder and the company is making you work stupid hours, you know, not see your family, never have fun, not provide you with enough money, not let you live the life you lead, it's failing in its legal fiduciary duties. The company is there to serve you. Most people are like, oh, I want to grow this great business. Yeah, why? Get clear on what you as the shareholder, as the founder want out of life. And then let the business deliver that to you. If the business can deliver that, no, I'm just looking up at you now. You can't see some of my wonderful arrows. Probably don't have enough feedback. You, know, you, can't, um, you can't go around and just go let the business dominate my life. That's not the point of business. So get clear on what you want um, out of life. So the idea here is to start first with, with what you want from life. You know, what are the things that you want? In the next year, um, I'm going to flip up a sheet and show you a really simple one we use, and we'll actually refer back to it um, a few times. Is this one? It's a goal sheet. It's it's not complicated. Um, as this is done on Excel. We used to give this to staff. Um, I'd give it to anyone I work with. You know, so um, put in your name, put in the date you've updated it, and then what are your personal, business, and wellness goals for 12 months, five years? and 10 years. Now, why do we do that? Because people will have clarity around one area typically. And again, if you can't do five, do 10, do five, but go out as far as you can. Um, a lot of people have clarity around what they want to achieve in their business. Great. You know, I want to have, you know, 120 staff. I want to be doing X amount of revenue. You know, that's going to be 120 staff, going to be 20, 25 million in revenue. Um, uh, you're going to be uh, you know, doing a profit margin of, a while and say 25% it's not going to happen in construction. So let's go realistically into 15, 12, 15%. Um, right. Great. That's really clear. What about you personally? Because you can easily, well, you can not easily, but you can achieve that and find that you're not getting what you want out of life. You know, if your ideal is to be working 20 hours a week, um, taking 12 weeks holiday a year, and you've got the business you want, but it means you're working 100 hours um, a week, taking holidays never, phone's always on, um, you know, even weekends, because holidays can very easily become working with a different backdrop. Oh, going to Pork Douglas this week. Awesome. What did you do? Sat on the balcony and worked. Oh, we went out to a reef cruise. What did you do? Talked on the phone the whole time, solved problems for my team. Fuck that. Um, so figure out what you want, get clear on your personal goals, and then also wellness, because... Honestly, guys, you see too many people who are successful at the cost of these other things. You know, you hear it all the time about successful businessmen, people in the corporate world whose kids have grown up and don't know them um, or who have had a heart attack at 50. Um, 
you know, why? Because they, they've been very successful in, in this area of career or business, um, but they haven't paid any attention to their personal wellness goals. Um, and they've completely lost sight of, of what they want out of life, chasing business success. So I'd strongly suggest that you look at all three areas. Um, use the acronym SMART. If you don't know it, there's a little thing over here. Any of these downloads, guys, shoot us a message, send us an email. We'll happily forward any of these templates or downloads onto you. Don't care if you're part of the program or not. Um, you know, I want to share this knowledge and help people grow their business. Um, so anything you see during this uh, presentation, just let us know. Um, so really, they're all time-based because we've got a time in there. Achievable and relevant. Um, so you know, if your 10-year goal um, is to, to grow a big business, but your one-year goal is to um, you know, go yachting around Australia, then are they relevant along the way? You know, So your you one, your five, your 10, like we showed before, should all be leading and relevant to the next ones. These are the ones that people most often miss. Make them specific and measurable. You know, 10 years time wellness, I want to be healthy. Mm -hmm. Not specific and it's hard to measure. Um, if it was in 10 years time, I still want to be able to run 5Ks in under 25 minutes. Let's not be too ambitious. Um, uh, you know, do 20 push-ups and squats. Yeah, that sort of thing. Mine is, you know, you can, you can find something that is quite specific and measurable. So a great one for wellness, which was uh, be less than, for a guy, mind you, be less than 11% body fat. First I was like, what's with that? And he's like, well, he, he played rugby at, at quite a high level um, and they did body scans start, middle, end of the season. He said that when I'm under 11% body fat, everything else is in order. I have to be um, training at least four times a week. I have to eat well and I can't drink more than one night a week. So if I, if I go out and party and drink more than one night a week, if I eat crap food or if I don't train at least four times a week, I slip above that. It's specific. It's measurable. Really easy. Um, so those are the sort of things um, that I'd love you to, to work on um, that, that would bring you back to uh, enabling you to, to, with clarity, come up with what are the things that you want from life that is going to allow you to live the life that you want. And once you've done that, again, picking the, the furthest out, and working backwards through the correct years um, till you figure out what you want this year or in the next 12 months. Um, once you've done that, then make sure they align. Now, what do I mean by align? I mean, what you want out of life and what you want out of business over here, this stuff should be in alignment. Um, so, uh, it, it sounds odd, but frequently I see that this isn't the case. You'll see people who are um, in business. What do you want? Oh, uh, I want to have a multinational business. You know, currently we've got 15 staff in Victoria. We want to go Australia-wide. Um, within 10 years, we want to have three offices around Southeast Asia. Um, you know, we, we want to be the biggest in our region. Terrific. Okay. I, I love the ambition. I love the goal. Awesome. Um, 10 years, you can definitely do that. It's going to take um, focus and determination, but absolutely, you can do that. What do you want out of life personally? Uh, I want to spend more time with my family. Um, I want to make sure I'm around to pick my kids up from school every day. Uh, I'd like to be, you know, taking eight, 10 weeks holidays because there's lots of school holidays. They're going to be in school age in 10 years' time still. So let's be going travelling. Um, you know, uh, I'd love to make sure that I don't work more than 40 hours a week. Um, I'd like to have date nights out with my wife all the time. Um, okay. That, that's good. That, that's positive. Is money there? Oh, look, enough money to get by. So, you know, um, and realistically, guys, just so you know, uh, there's different figures thrown around. If you're in business, somewhere around the, the 250 to 400K a year mark, above that, it really doesn't make much of a difference. Like, yeah, you can end up with 
private jets and helicopters. Yet your happiness doesn't seem to accelerate much beyond that. Um, like I'm not saying that mine's accelerated massively past that. Like I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm able to live comfortably and choose when I work, but I don't make millions of dollars a year. Um, I make many, many hundreds of thousands a year. And um, I know guys who've gone from that, you know, that, that 250, 400 up to making multiple millions uh, and even you know, more than $10 million clear profit a year from what they do. Um, and in talking to them and, and looking at research papers, it really doesn't seem to affect their happiness. So if you go that in 10 years' time or even in three years' time, you want to be making three, 400K a year, okay, great. Um, that's going to enable you to do pretty much anything you would want to do. Um, you may just have to be you know, flying business class rather than in a private jet. Like, oh, that's sucky. I don't even fly business now. Like, I, I fly premium economy. I don't see the point in, in paying for business. I don't drink. So what's the, with the free glass of champagne at the start, what's the point? So get clear on what you want. And if your personal goal is to spend time with your family, why is your business goal to be the biggest in the Asia-Pacific region? Because biggest in the Asia-Pacific region means a lot of work, a lot of stress, a lot of time on planes, a lot of time in hotel rooms. Those goals are misaligned. You, know, you could happily grow a, a 10, 15-person team to be a 100-plus-person team in Melbourne, have other people running that be clearing three, 400K and be home every night to eat with your family, to take your, your wife away for date nights every fortnight, to, to jump on a plane um, eight times a year for, for week-long holidays um, with the kids. You know, make sure that your personal and business goals align. If not, take your personal goals and match your business goals to them, not the other way around. Your business is there to give you what you want out of life. Oh, I just realised I'm doing it again. I'm circling life over here for you guys. I'm giving you all this great life is important, but you can't see it behind my face. So, all right, there we go. Start with the end in mind. Start with personal time in mind. And we're going to jump into looking at some of the business stuff now. I've spent plenty of time on that. Leads and marketing. Now, guys, we're just covering generically a range of different um, businesses. So we're going to look at um, clients, uh, end client, domestic projects, or commercial. So just some, some big picture stuff for you again today. B2C is working for the end client. Um, so it's either, you know, a homeowner, um, so it might be a homeowner or um, you know, any other owner of the, the property, whether it's the, um, uh, you know, working for the landlord, even if it's through the real estate and et cetera. Um, it might be an owner's corporation, you know, working for the school, a school directly rather than the Department of Education um, or an employee responsible for a premises, which might again be uh, a, a single building. You know, some buildings could be considered you know, commercial over here, but generally it's, it's B2C, you, you're hooking to an individual and selling to an individual. Um, and it's often fairly one-off, um, not ongoing. You can get plenty of ongoing stuff here. In fact, no, that's not true. Now I think plenty of B2C stuff can be ongoing as well, uh, but it's, it's a specific type of uh, marketing that you do. In construction, domestic projects is another, it's a really large sector. So you either be working for a volume builder, you're never gonna make much money there. Um, but it's an easier life. You don't have to quote, you don't have to worry about invoicing, you don't have to worry about getting paid. The purchase order, you do the work, you smash that with your crew, go home. End of story. Most of the time, if you want to grow and make money, you've got to work for these guys. I'm just going to hide it. There you go, bespoke builder. Um, and that's not working, so I'm just going to clear that and start again. Um, you know, use bespoke builder here. Um, are the guys who are everything other than your Metricons and Simmons. You know, they do projects that are designed for the individual. Your architects, property developers who've got a vertically integrated business where they have a DBU or CBU. Um, so again, you're working with someone who's going to give you ongoing residential work. 
um, or moving into the commercial sector, doing commercial builders, maintenance contacts, insurance companies. So we're going to look at a few simple ways that you would collect leads and marketing for there. Now, why do I say that? Because so many construction businesses go, I don't really need leads. I don't need to do marketing. Well, no, you don't, unless you want to grow. Um, I spent years running. I started off working here and then we moved over to here. And, and people, I'd go to business seminars and like, you need a marketing plan. I'm like, no, I don't. I know who I work for. I work for, for registered domestic and commercial builders. I need to market to them. Someone changed the language on me once. I said, don't think of it as marketing. Think of it as recency and frequency. If you are working for these guys and these guys, now you may have done a great job, but they don't do that many or they've got their own crew and you know, this domestic builder, DBU, used you two years ago and suddenly for us it was carpentry. So he needs the carpentry done again. Or um, you quoted for these guys, didn't win the job uh, and that was you know, a year ago. And suddenly they've got a big project and they need you or your skill set on it. They are going to go, I need the carpentry package quoted on this. Um, okay. Have we got any carpenters? They're going to contact someone who um, they spoke to recently or they can think of recently, sent them an email, gave them a text. Now, how can you be that person who has contacted them recently? It's only one way, by having contact with them frequently. Now, it doesn't have to be pick up the phone for a chat. It can be phone, text message, email, lumpy mail, all sorts of things. And that is, quite simply, leads and marketing. It, it is leads and marketing, guys, because if you can do that with your leads and your marketing, um, you will get more people asking you for quotes or to do work or to generate work. It, you, you have to be generating more leads and you do that through marketing. That's how you grow. So let's look at B2C. Because this is the most common way, when you think about it, that people generate leads. And most people wouldn't say it's a marketing strategy, but fucking oath it is. Word of mouth. Now, we go, right, word of mouth is a marketing strategy, but there's a range of them here. And they all work, but they have different, different strengths and weaknesses. So let, I'm just going to run through it at a fairly high level for you guys today. Um, firstly, let's have a look at this stuff here. Down here, cost money to do. Up here is free. Yep. So all of these things here, you know, content marketing, you produce yourself, word of mouth is free. SEO, you've got to pay for. All of this stuff here, you have to pay for. Yeah. That's one difference. We can draw another line down here. This stuff is slow and this stuff is fast. This stuff takes a lot more time, whether it's word of mouth, content marketing, SEO. All this stuff happens a lot faster. So let's have a quick look at some of your options here. I see a lot of guys who start off with their business in this space. Well, actually, a lot of them start off word of mouth here. They work for um, family, friends, um, you know, anyone who needs a project done with their area that they start off by going, hey, I'm starting out on my own. Has anyone got a project? Depending on what your business is, um, that might keep you going for a while. Eventually, you know, I need some more work. Um, if you do bigger jobs that take weeks or months, it may keep you going for plenty of time and referrals can build you to, to keep one crew busy. Um, it's hard to grow up beyond one crew there. The, this is another quick way, you know, you put your high pages are simple. Air task at people post jobs, service seeking people post jobs. And you can very quickly go in and bid on that work and, and see when it's going to start and pick up more work quickly and easily. The problem with all three of these ways is that it is... Uh, 
competitive. Why do I say that? Because on Airtasker, people are posting a job and they're going to have typically between three and eight people quote on it. Service seeking, same thing, somewhere between five to 10, depending on what, what it is. High pages, people are likely to pick up the phone and get three quotes. You know, it's a typical thing, get three, three prices. Um, they're, they're looking for a cheap price. So anywhere um, that is in that area here, you are going to have to really sharpen your pencil and screw down on price. There isn't a lot of margin in any of those three options because people don't know you, they're shopping around. Um, by the way, there's, before someone will buy from you, I'm just going to cover this really quickly. Before anyone will, will look at um, buying from you, they um, need to have three things. They need to know you, then they need to like you, and then they need to trust you. If they do all of that, they'll buy from you. So a lot of the time, what you're doing with leads is simply getting them to this point here. They know about you. Um, now, for a platform like Airtask or Service Seeking or Gumtree and things like that, they're often picking you without meeting you or, or knowing you, um, other than they know that you exist because you've been on it. The like and the trust, um, the like sort of they've just got to deal with. The trust comes from the number of star reviews that you have out there. Um, the more five-star reviews you have, the more trust they have for you um, and the more likely they are to use you. Um, in situations like high pages where you're going to come and give them a quote or anything where you're going to come and give them a quote, then it is about building that trust when you go to their house to give them a quote. This is the reason that this works so very effectively. Um, that works so effectively up here, um, because when someone refers you, obviously friends or family know you, but once, you know, tradies and construction business has got a really bad rap out there, guys. So um, uh, when someone says, oh, look, I need a new deck, I need my, my roof renovated, I need to get my bricks cleaned, I want my floor sand and polished, whatever it may be, they're always going, oh, yeah, I'm going to have someone in my house, I, I need to sort of... I need them to show up. I need them not to leave a mess, not to trample my prized flowers, whatever it is, not let the dogs out. Um, you know, when they go looking, they can find people. This is a really hard component. They lack trust because our industry, it has got this reputation for being dodgy, you know, ripping people off, charging too much, not showing up. Um, and it sucks because it's not all of us. But that's what you've got hanging around your neck, being in construction as a tradie. When someone refers you, you've straight away got this. That's why referrals are, are, are quite dangerous to give out. Because if I say to my mate, yep, use this person, they're great. And that person uh, smashes their flowers or you know, leaves the gate open and their chickens wander off. They don't blame the tradie. They blame me. Because I said, this guy's good. Trust me. Um, I may not have used the word trust me. I will just say this guy's good use them. They did a great job for me. They're coming back and they're blaming me because I recommended them or you, your business, to my friend. So the, the trust comes from me trusting them. So referrals are really good. Anything else, you have to build these others once they know about you. So marketing gets you here. This is what your marketing does, gets you a lead. You've then got to get them to like you and trust you. So when you get these um, over here, it's great. You can, you can win work at a very low competitive rate. 
you can do stuff over here that's going to take a fair bit of time. Um, that takes a lot of time uh, and really depends on whether or not you need SEO. Content marketing, you really need to position yourself quite carefully and figure out what you're doing to become an expert if you want to go down that field. It's quite time consuming. I'm not going to go into it too much today. Um, advantages of other types. So when we look at Google Ads um, and SEO, these ones, you get warm leads. If I have put into Google um, floor sanding and polishing in Cranbourne, it's because I want my floor sanded and polished and I live in Cranbourne or my house is in Cranbourne. Um, if I put in um, you know, re-roofing or fix my gutters um, in, in Craigieburn, guess what? I am actively looking for someone to fix my gutters in Craigieburn. I'm ready for it now. I just need to find the right person and I'm going to buy. So the advantage of Google Ads um, or spending a lot of time and, and slow burn money. You, know, you spend a fair bit of money. You'll, you'll spend years up generally before you see results here. Um, but once people go into Google, they're, they're ready to, to buy whatever they've Googled for. Facebook, on the other hand, if you do Facebook ads, you're served up to them cold. You know, they're um, taking a break. They're on their phone. Um, <laughs> chances are they're sitting on the dunny, scrolling through for five minutes, wherever you find them. They're looking for what their friends are doing, for pictures of kittens, for, for whatever else. They're not fucking looking for floor sanders. So when you catch their attention, they go, oh, that's right. I've been thinking about getting those floors sanded for ages. They may not be warm or ready to buy, but that you've got to capture their attention and grab them cold. Um, if it's new or innovative and you, know, you can do it, like um, uh, I've coached a painter in the program who uh, was just doing general house painting. We put up some amazing um, mural walls and feature walls, which, which looked phenomenal. Um, you can capture that attention in, in Facebook ads because, you know, typically um, it's, you know, I would serve those ads to, to a female, a homeowner, somewhere between 30 and 50 who sees them and goes, yep, cool, that looks amazing, I want that. You know, my house gets repainted when I'm told to by my wife because um, I'm like, really, you know, because I'm organising it and I'm thinking, I know where the paint's going to go and drop everywhere. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to get somebody to do it, but i to get all the furniture covered. It's just, it's a pain. She's like, oh, it's looking a bit flaky. I'm like, it's fine. It'll last another couple of years. If she sees something that she wants, that will light up the house because it's feeling a bit drab because, you know, fuck, we seem to throw out furniture every 12 months um, because she wants things changed up and it's feeling a bit dull um, and we spend a whole lot of money to get new stuff fine. She sees something on Facebook, looks amazing. Right, she may click on it and she's going to use that business. She wasn't thinking about having a feature wall painted. You've served it up, bang, they're going to use it. So there's a range of ways you can do it, but just be aware if you are ever serving ads on Facebook, you're serving to a cold market who aren't actually ready or looking to buy from you at the moment. Um, depending on what your business is, having some uh, sign writing on your car, getting a vehicle wrapped can be amazingly effective. Um, I've got a mate who I went through trade school with who now runs a business that does uh, handymen. Um, he's got 15 of them uh, around Melbourne. Um, he found very early on, and this was back when, uh, when he just finished trade school, he would get three to four calls while he was in Bunnings because people are going to Bunnings and going, oh, I need this, and they'd come out confused because they're like, oh, I'm not sure. They would see a, a handyman and they'd pick up the phone and call him because he had his mobile number right on the side there. Um, you know, with the, the flow through of traffic with COVID, one entry, one exit, um, you'll often see a car parked just near the exit, like they got the lucky car park. Sometimes those cars are probably there for two days. It's because it's great marketing for exactly where your clientele is. Oh, I'm going to fix that door. 
been meaning to do it. You go back to your like, oh, stuff, but I'll just get someone else to do it. And you're right in front of them. Bang. Conventional marketing is just a, a thing that wraps up everything else. Um, you can do it in, in a very effective way, depending on what it is. Um, yeah, it, it is about finding a way to to get to your client. Like I had a someone I was talking to the other day. Um, they were uh, doing uh, moving. Uh, sorry, no, they were doing junk removal, um, and they were going to drop flies. They were in lockdown. They, they didn't have work for the week, and, and they had a thousand flies. Going to drop them in letter boxes. All right, we, we workshopped it for a little bit and said, well, you're going to drop them in every letter box. Oh yeah, we'll just put in everyone we go past. And like, oh, okay, let's have a look. You don't want to put it in anyone who's got unkempt grass because they're renters. No renters are going to have their junk gone until they're ready to move out. So, so forget doing um, any any unkempt gardens because they don't need junk removed. They're renters. Um, it's lockdowns. So everyone's at home. If they've got a ute or a trailer in the driveway, they're not going to use junk removal. It's going to take it to tip themselves. So right, they walked around and any house that had nicely kept lawns and sedans in the the uh, yard with no signs of trailers, bang, got a flyer in there because those are the guys who want the yards kept. And, and they, they haven't got the capacity to take junk to um, the tip. So by being selective, they are able to flush out quite a few leads um, simply by being selective with a, an old school conventional marketing. So that's looking at B2C very quickly at a high level. It uses some options there for, for gathering new clients. Okay, domestic builders. Um, well, domestic projects, I should say. So whether it's volume builders, bespoke builders, property developers, all those guys have got the advantage for us of having to be registered. Architects have to be registered. What does that mean? What can we do with that? Um, I'm going to show you how we built a very significant um, list over here. Where am I? That's the one I want. This page here. Victorian Building Authority. I'm going to turn my face to the sideways so you guys so you can not worry about me for the moment. Um, have a look at the website. So um, the Victorian Building Authority um, is where every single builder in this case in Victoria, um, is listed. Now, why is that an advantage for us? Well, here's what we did when we wanted to build our list of builders who we worked for. So our criteria was we were working for commercial builders. They all have a registration number. For commercial builders, see the CBL, commercial builder limited, commercial builder unlimited. So if I type CBU and go, I'm not a robot, and search, hmm. CBU dash one. Let's see. We can do the recapture. I know they're changing the registration that I haven't done this. This was something we did probably 10 years ago. Uh, all right, well, let's go domestic builders and I'll find what the commercial builder did this the other day. I checked it for you guys and it worked. Ah, DB dash U. DB dash U one. See, there's my auto infill from the other day. Now, the thing we found is that it will only return you up to 100 results. So I'm gonna scroll down 10 pages, there's more than 100 results there, right? Every one of these is a domestic builder. So because it's one, I would go domestic builder you know, one one or one two, for example. I might go one zero to start with. And I'm gonna search one zero instead of just one until I get less than 100 results. So back in the day, I actually paid a first year to do it because I didn't know about offshore stuff. Now I do. Less than 10 pages results, great. Here's every builder in Victoria, who is a domestic builder unlimited, who has a registration number starting with the numbers one and zero. If I click on them, it's going to add a pop-up screen for me. And I've got a whole bunch of details. I know their name um, and the fact that they're in partnership with a Rachel Dawson. 
Now, that's not exactly what I was hoping for. I'm going to show you a different one there because I'm going to pick the next guy, Adrian Dorn, because what you'll find is a lot of them have right here a mobile number. Right now, I know that Adrian got his domestic building license in 1996. That's his name. That's his registration number. That's his mobile phone number. From that alone, you could go out and start texting people. There's a lot of registered builders. Now, when we did that for, let's see if I can do it for CBU now that I know the prefix. Um, when we did it for commercial builders, yeah, Adrian Dorr may be still painting thing. He may be just doing the odd house himself. He may not be functioning anymore as a builder and he may not be interested in, in what you've got to offer. So here are commercial builders and I'm going to use this because this is a criteria we set. Here's a commercial builder. It tells me his address, not his mobile number. So there's no phone number in here. He's a domestic and a commercial builder. Um, domestic since 2003, commercial since 1995. We would Google that name and Ascot Vale, because that's the suburb. Does he have a website? A, Romanian and Sons Builders. They do, commercial and domestic projects. So the criteria that we set for people we wanted to contact were commercial builders with a website. That was it. Because if they were commercial builders with a website, we thought they were big enough for us to contact. We would go to their contact page. We would get their phone number. So there we go, Adrian's direct mobile number. We would get their postal address so we could send them lumpy mail or mail. We'll talk about that in a bit if we wanted to. We don't have, um, oh, no, we do. We've got Adrian's direct email address. Perfect. I can market to that guy in so many different ways now, very, very simply. Like that is a way to build a marketing list for commercial builders by using the registration authority in your local state. I used VBA because I built my company in Victoria and that's how we built a marketing list. We ended up with three and a half odd thousand commercial builders on our list. We had their, their names, um, their company names, their uh, physical addresses. We had um, their mobile, or most of the time their mobile phone number, sometimes not, but we always had their email address because if we didn't, at least we had the domain. If it's a bigger company, um, if you're looking at, at ProBuild, ProBuild is not going to have Adrian at. Um, you know, we know it's Adrian um, uh, Romanian. It's going to be A.Romanian. It's going to be Adrian.R. It's going to be A.R. It's going to be one of 20 different ways. If you want, I'll send you through a permeator that we used that, that simply um, allowed us to, to send a, um, an email to 20 different email addresses. So what we did was we put it in Excel. It took the, the person's name and it spat it out in 20 different email combinations. So you go know, from A.Romanian to Adrian to Adrian Romanian and et cetera. You put them all in the BCC column of an email and you hit send. Of those 20, 19 of them bounce. One of them doesn't. Guess what? That's the one that works. If you find that one combination for ProBuild, that works for every ProBuild person. Go onto LinkedIn. Search everyone with project manager and above in their job title on LinkedIn put them into your database. You can now email, and that's what we did literally, was email every project manager, construction manager, director. Um, sometimes we went to site manager and estimators for other things, we put them in there as well. How did we know how to contact them? Because we found the email address for one person at ProBuild, and then we could find off LinkedIn, everyone else who worked there in the roles that we wanted, and we could put their name, their title, and what their email address would be. And we can send out an email marketing campaign to every project manager, to every estimator, to every site manager at, at ProBuilder, any other builder. And that's how we marketed. That's talking about commercial, but it's also talking about residential. You can do the same thing for residential because they have to be registered. Um, so when you want to attack, not attack, but when you want to market, let's be nice about it, but let's call it attack the marketing to anyone 
here um, or in commercial, that's how you can build a marketing list. That you, can, that you can pump on MailChimp 2,000 emails in there for free. Do you need authority to email people in Australia? Yes, you do. Legally, absolutely. I've got to say that because this has been recorded and it's going to go out there. Did I always have authority um, or sold my business so I can talk about that? No, that, that, the, I'm not going to say me. I'm going to put myself on the business that I ran as a, as a company, which was limited liability. So, you know, that company is responsible for its actions and the actions of its directors and employees. As a business, we didn't always have written or imply authority from the people that we sent emails to. We would build a list of 3,500 people and email them. Um, did we get people uh, unsubscribing and pissed off with us? We did, but we didn't get anyone pissed off with us because we didn't spam them. And what we actually did was built uh, what we called a construction industry update. So we built a newsletter and we would put six articles typically on it um, and we'd find articles that were useful to the people we were marketing to. We'd put the, the little picture of the image and we'd put the, the, um, uh, the first paragraph of that article. Halfway down, we'd put, do you want the carpentry on your next project quoted? Click here to get in touch with us. That was it. And the, the tagline was construction industry update. People didn't unsubscribe because we weren't going, hey, how great are we? Use us. We were telling them things that were useful to them. Um, and by, by sending them useful information, they stayed subscribed because they liked getting it. They didn't even know it was coming from a carpentry contractor, but it definitely put our brand and our logo in front of them very regularly. It was very, very effective. Um, we'd send them lumpy mail. We'd send them a, you know, a nice shiny folder. Um, it had a pen on the front. Um, you know, these pens cost me. 86 cents. I don't know if you can see that. It's, this is a, a, one of my co-working space pens. Um, it's got my logo on it. It would have my website on it. Um, they feel great. They're metal. They're heavy. They last really well. They're better than any plastic crap. 86 cents. Find them on eBay. They used to be the $1 pen shop. They've gotten cheaper. They're amazing. We'd send that, that on the front and then a, a little key ring, which was a bottle top opener. Again, it was silver. You could see our logo, but just barely so that they would want it on the key ring. They could see it, but other people wouldn't see that they had some carpentry company on there. And then a folder of, of how great are we stuff. You know, there sometimes would be fridge magnet stuff that was a big folder in, in cardboard. So if they got a whole bunch of mail, they're like, what's this? That's what got opened first. And they actually bothered to open it and read it. Don't send out stuff with a plastic window in it. People aren't going to read it. Um, okay. I'm going to have to keep on track to keep you guys uh, under two hours because we're already behind here, well behind. Um, all right. Commercial projects. Um, the thing is, most of these maintenance contracts, insurance um, contracts, commercial projects go to tender. So you can find them. We used to use a website called Estimate One. There's a bunch of competitors out there. They put every commercial project that has been tendered and you have to tender. So it's, it's harder to find your commercial advantage for there. I'll talk about that in a second on the next slide. Um, maintenance contracts, the same. You know, if you want to get the contract to, to all the maintenance and all coal stores, that will generally be a three-year contract that will go up for tender. Now, it's a big commitment and it's hard to compete against the guys who've done it last time because they know what their costs are. They've got the infrastructure there to do it. Someone on coals, you need to prove that you've got the capacity to deliver. They don't want you to fall over in the first two months because the tender process will take months and months to go through. Uh, but the advantage of working in, in this space, um, in commercial, is you can get much bigger from the contracts here. You know, we went into commercial from domestic because our hardest hire, the hardest person for us to find, was our good project manager. You know, that leading hand project manager who can manage team um, talk to clients effectively and, and respectfully, um, but also not be a pushover. Um, read and interpret plans, do all the admin, all of that stuff. That, that's, a, that's a rare beast. 
when we have domestic and you've got three guys on a site, you need one of those people for every site. When you're on commercial and you've got 25 guys on a site, you still only need one of those guys. So by going to commercial, we could have six or eight of them um, and have over 100 guys in the company. Whereas for, for six or eight of them um, in residential projects, you've got a company of 25 guys. So you've got, and you need to keep those guys. You've got to look after them and pay them well and all sorts of things. It's a lot harder to do that. So that's why we grew into this space, but we still needed to make sure we positioned ourselves correctly and had a competitive advantage. Because again, if I flip back here, the problem with tendering is that it is competitive. Like we talked about Airtasker and service seeking. To be in here, um, oh, I keep on doing that. Sorry, guys. Um, it's the problem with not having feedback. You're not telling me that I'm, I'm hiding uh, key stuff with my face. Um, the, the problem with tendering is it's competitive. It pushes your dollars profit down all the time. Um, so you've got to find and, and pick the right projects that you can do better than other people. You've got to position yourself in such a way that the projects that you are doing return you good dollars. Um, you don't just tender on everything. So looking here, um, what are we talking about? Position, competitive advantage. Uh, so in a nutshell, it's where do you want to be with your business? Um, so your primary work stream or streams is what are you doing now? What makes you your money um, as it stands right now? And now that's 50%. That, that could well be 90%. could be 100%. comes through your primary work streams at the moment. Um, most people will find that they do these most of the time and occasionally do something else. Um, so... You, know, you could be doing, I don't know, recoding of, of tennis courts. Um, and most of the time you're doing it for schools or for the tennis centre. And occasionally some little backyard operator comes along or, you know, occasionally you go and um, paint a factory um, where they want their, their floor done. It's, it's occasional. It doesn't come along very often, um, but it does come along. Um, Secondary is, you know, you sometimes get that stuff. Um, but this is your bread and butter. Now, the important thing here is that often what we do for bread and butter isn't where we necessarily want to be. Again, I talked about painters before. If you're just painting houses and that's your bread and butter, getting contracts to, to paint, um, okay, and you're doing it through air task or service seeking or getting calls off high pages, people are getting three quotes, your margins aren't great. It's not exciting work. Anyone else can do it, um, you know, but it's where you're getting work at the moment. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Don't give up on it. But is that what you want to be doing? Is there other work that you would rather be doing that gives you higher margins? And generally, that's it. Sometimes it's just more enjoyment. Sometimes this is what I want to be doing because I like it more. You know, um, you're a tiler who doesn't want to just do tile bathrooms. You want to do mosaics because you love creating something. Um, it makes you feel far more satisfied to do a mosaic tiling piece than it does just to tile some other bathroom in, in white freaking tiles that everyone has. Um, you know, so it could be enjoyment. Um, it could be uh, dollars. Um, you know, it could be that it allows you to grow. This is where you want to be. Figure out what that is and how you position yourself to win work in these areas. You know, if it's mosaic tiling, how are you going to get that? Is it for big commercial projects or is it for, for houses? You know, if you're a tiler and you want to do mosaic tiling in houses, then I'd go, okay. I'd be thinking that you do want to do content marketing. You definitely want your own Facebook page, Instagram account, um, even a YouTube account, you know, get a, a time-lapse camera because 
that would look amazing doing this big mosaic over a few days with a time-lapse camera, whack that on YouTube. You're going to get a whole bunch of likes. It's going to look incredible. Yet people are going to go, oh, wow, I want that in, in my next bathroom. Um, you might do you know, something like Facebook advertising with a very small geofence. Geofencing is the area that you serve it to. It might be Turak and South Yarra, Brighton, Camboyle, Hawthorne, you know, small areas that you're going to do it to because you want people who've got big budgets to, to pay for what you're doing. Um, if you wanted to move into you know, something that was um, completely different to what you're doing, uh, it, yeah, it, it may be going, um, you know, we're going to pressure clean driveways. All right, how am I going to find those people, position myself to get to them? Um, it, it may be uh, I'm going to move away from doing painting um, and I'm going to move more into doing interior design because really um, I am a painter and I, I, I advise people on colours, but I want to be the decorator side of it. So how am I going to get the work where people actually get me as a consultant instead of doing the primary work? Figure out what it is. Figure out how you're going to position yourself so people use you. Figure out how you're going to make money. Why are they going to use you over someone else? And that lets you push your margins up. Because if you're just a painter and you're a painter like everyone else, they're picking on one thing, dollars. If you're just a tiler and you've got no difference to every other tiler out there, they're picking on dollars. You know, that's it. Um, what is it that makes you more competitive? Now, for us, commercial carpentry, they didn't care about any of that stuff. What was our competitive advantage? We could do stuff more efficiently. They picked us because we were more professional in our approach. Um, but they, um, the, the reason that we made good money for what we did is we positioned ourselves to do particular types of work where um, a lot of the time it was simply just repetitive. Like if we could do 93 apartments that were all more or less the same, um, you know, they're, they're between one and four bedroom apartments, you know, the same architect, you know, they're going to have different features so people don't think that they're living in identical boxes, but really they freaking were. It's the same architect that did it. We do the first one, it goes slow. The second one, the third one, the fourth one, by the fifth one, we're doing all right. By the 93rd one, we're making phenomenal money. So we would do that um, as a preference to doing a school where every classroom is a different shape, different size, different you know, colours and things because, and I'd say that quite truly, we used to do a lot of schools. Schools we didn't make as good of money on because it was very bespoke. You know, People were trying to create an inspirational learning environment. So we found our competitive advantage um, was being more professional with our systems, but allowing efficiencies of scale. We took bigger projects where, and we'd put a team on it that could get good at doing one thing. You, know, you then put a door crew on it who'd go and hang 700 doors over a few months, but they would just be doing doors all day. You know, someone would come and do skirting for two months. Now we'd move them around between projects. They wouldn't do skirting on the next project, but they would do skirting for two months so they get really good at it. Someone else would do the arc. Someone else would you know, do the window sills. You know, people would do the straight and do the framing. Everything became efficiencies of scale. That was our competitive advantage when we were in commercial tendering of, of big projects that were forcing our margins down. So find a way to position yourself in the work that you want and how are you going to make money off that? Absolutely key. And really, you need to decide this before you figure out how you're going to do your marketing. We've talked about your marketing, so you've got some ideas in there, but figure out this first before you know how you want to market yourself. Like I just gave you that example of that tiler. It's going to be very different if you're going to do bespoke stuff and painting or tiling as to how you market yourself than if you're just going to do run-of-the-mill, um, you know, use a roller for everything. You know, you're going to go into simply tendering for work, which is fine, but position how you want to do it so you know where to put your time and energy and dollars with your marketing. Your sales process. Okay, again, um, you might think, oh, I'm not a salesman. Well, then fucking get out of business. 
If you are in business, you are selling. No, you can't just outsource it yet. One day, it took us a long time. We had well over 100 staff before we had a salesman. We, we had an estimating team of seven. And we had a head estimator before we hired someone whose sole job it was. We called him head of estimating. He wasn't. He, he was a salesman. His job was to sell. Before, but even then, the MD and the project manager went along. It was one of our, our tactics to win a big project. We never just had someone rock up to a tender interview. There were three people going wearing nice shirts with, with folders and iPads and things looking super professional because they had the impression that we were a big team with lots of resources. We weren't going to let them down. Um, and that you know they went, cool, these guys are going to give us the support that we need through the project. But right now, you have to sell. So we talked about how to find the lead. You want to get better at the rest of this as well. Your pitch. Now, I'm using business terms here. For most of us, our pitch is just our quote. It's easy. In construction, we make our business pitch by sending a quote. But as soon as you change your language and you think of it as a pitch rather than as a quote, it changes how you go about presenting it because you are now trying to get someone, you're pitching for the work. You are making it a compelling proposition that they will pick you, not just a bit of black and white paper with some lines and a number on it because you want them to pick you. So figure out what your process is because, again, all this, guys, is about figuring out your process for business and your systems for business. Figure out how you can make your pitch more compelling. And for commercial, how do we make our pitch more commercial? Uh, for commercial work, how do we make it more compelling? Super professional. Some people would send through a sheet. So I'm talking like a million and a half, two million dollar carpentry supply and install package. It'd be a sheet. Everything on the plans for carpentry, you know, 1.75 million. Fucking hell. Ours would be like 12 pages long. The, pay, the, the frame would break it down, every item, every, you know, referencing um, every little detail and every little plan to, to make them have confidence that we had it all. You know, we would go to meetings where we'd ask questions and they're like, what? And you'd be flipping through, oh, it's on your, your structural engineering plan 123. If you have a look on, you know, that, that detail there, detail five on, on S123 or E123, depending on how they, they denominated it. And go, oh, we haven't seen that. Bang, as long as we were within QE of the price, we got that project because we were so all over it that we were showing them things that they hadn't spotted. Um, so figure out what it is. If, if it is um, for something pretty, you're tiling, you're painting, you know, make it better than um, the next guys. Make it, you know, that if, if you want design intent for them coming in to, to do, a, letting you do it in mosaic, show them that you can think and design things that look good so design flyers or a quote that looks amazing um you know we even made ours more professional by we would send them the email then we'd send post it out to them again in one of those big a4 envelopes on the left when you opened it up was a booklet left it was how great are we we called it which is just all stuff as to what uses on the right was the quote again it was pin closed with an 86 cent pen that went in the mail to them they remembered us um you know if you want to uh pitch guys you can pitch them cold like you know, I've been talking to roof restorers who, who are looking at through in the area and the, the guys doing their quotes are quiet. Pick roofs that look like they need restoring. You can do them a quote online and post it to them without ever having met them or they made an inquiry. If you make your pitch look incredible enough, they'll sign up to you without ever having met you because they'll go through the know, like, and trust based on the quote that you give them. The decision. This is the period where the client awards the work. So um, they decide they're going ahead. In that time, there is work to do as well. Um, 
we call it only in decision period. I'm going to talk about that a bit later um, on this in, in this session. But again, you want to have systems there that increase. What are we trying to do here? We're trying to drive up your conversion rate. We're trying to increase the, the total revenue and the total profit. But we do that by driving up your conversion rate. Once your conversion rate is the percentage of every quote that you sell. So you know, you've got to fill your, your bucket with as many leads as you can. The less you have to pay for those leads, the more money you make. You pitch them and then they make a decision. The higher the percentage of that that you win, then the less money you have to spend on quoting and pitching. If it's 10% versus 80%, right? You spend less money to deliver the work if you can win at 80% than if you can win at 10%. Because you need to spend more dollars getting leads. You need to spend more dollars quoting it and then only win 10% of it. Yeah? You get eight times as much work for the same dollars in up here if you can change your conversion rate. So all of this is key to growing your business to be bigger and have less cost for, for scale. Quoting. Pitching. Just call it pitching. But realistically, we all talk about it as quoting. For whatever it is, we're in construction. We're generally going to quote our work. This is the lifeblood of your business. You want to try and make it fast. You want to do it low cost and you want to have high conversion. And the key to all of that is this right here. Systemize it. Guys, I cannot stress this enough. This is the lifeblood of your business. If you want to grow it, you have to do it here. It's also, by the way, um, it's the thing that's going to hold you back um, from growing because the more estimators or people or time you have to spend quoting, then the harder it is to scale. So that the better you can make your, your quoting and your estimating processes, then the more you can grow your business. For ages, my business did this. It wasn't even that. In fact, it was more like this. If this is not profit, but the amount of work. My crew, I had 12 guys when I was still doing everything. So at 12 guys, I was doing the site management, the estimating, the book work, the admin. I didn't have any people in the office. So that was the amount of work for 12 people. 12 people, not passengers, but people. Um, so for 12 crew, right? What happened here? I went all this work and I was so flat out doing it that I didn't have any time to quote. And we'd get to about here and I would go, oh, shit, <laughs> we're going to run out of work. And I would disappear from sites and quote like crazy, you know, 12, 14 hours a day and try and keep the guys busy down here until we won enough work that it was picking up and that we we're going to be making money again. But guess what? Because I was so panicked from having this time down here where I wasn't making enough money um, that by the time we got up here, I was saying yes to everything. Yes. Yes, I'll do that. And suddenly we do more work than 12 guys can handle. And up here, I'm in panic mode again. So um, what did I do there? I went, shit, I have to spend all my time on sites making sure there's no defects, no problems. All my guys are doing the work they needed. So what am I not doing here? Quoting. And we get to here. Shit, we're going to run out of work. We're going to end up back down here. Fuck. Abandon the sites. Go and quote. Quote like crazy. Start to win a few bits of work. I'm saying yes to everything, no matter how much margin we are or aren't making, because we don't have any, and I'm paying all these guys. Shit, but too much work. And the cycle just repeats. It was painful. How did I change it? Mm -hmm. Basically, oops, not the one I want. 
I went and I hired an estimator. And my first estimator was what allowed me to change that cycle. Because I went from stuffing around down here to being able to consistently grow. Now, was it consistent all the time? No, it had dips. There were still ups and downs where we didn't have enough work. We had too much work. It's never going to be you know, that perfect line that everyone dreams of. You, you don't get that. Um, you don't get this anywhere almost in life, certainly not in business. Um, so it's still a bit up and down, but it was there. And the main thing that it enabled me to do was to have this consistent growth. I got that by having an estimator who came in to constantly quote. Now, I'm not saying you have to hire an estimator, but you have to sort out your quoting system, guys. If you can be consistently getting work out there, and that can just be targets. I'm going to quote a million dollars worth of work a month. Yeah. Have I done that much this week? Have I quoted 250K worth of work this week? I don't know. Maybe for you, let's quote 10 grand a work a month. Maybe it's 10 million, whatever it is. You're going to have your win rate. Like seriously for us, we, we won somewhere between 10 and 15% of our work in commercial. That's where we were. We were aiming 15. We're usually hovering somewhere between 12, 13%, sometimes as low as 10, sometimes a bit less. Okay. If we're doing, let's, I was going to say 20, but let's round it up, 24 million a year, then we needed to do $2 million worth of work a month. Right. If we're going to win at 10%, we need to be quoting $20 million worth of work a month. Simple equation. It's not hard. We knew that we had to be pumping out $20 million worth of quotes every month to keep at that level. If we wanted to double in size, and, and we had a sort of 12 to 18 month lead time because we we're quoting that tender stage. So when we did today, we were on site actually starting to, to swing a hammer 12 to 18 months later. So if we're going to do $48 million worth of work in, in 12 to 18 months time, we need to be doing $40 million worth of quotes every month today. Set your targets. doesn't matter if it's you or someone else, but you need to make sure that you're consistently quoting at the level you want to be ahead of time. Don't quote for static because you're either growing or you're dying. This will be what allows you to grow. If you don't have your quoting together and your shit together here, you're going nowhere. You'll go up and down. And I did that for, you know, I don't know five or six months after I stepped off the tools until my God, it's feast and famine all the time. Life sucks. You, you have to get this sorted out, guys. How can you do that? I'm going to cover a couple of ways really simply. Um, so... Uh, if you're doing any plan takeoff, I'm just going to show you a couple of videos here for some ideas on how to get this your quoting systemized and sorted and get other people doing it for you. This is, we were using something called OST, on-screen takeoff. Um, this is a program called Build Exact. I put a team of three guys on to look at all of the estimating software out there. They came back and said, this is the best for what I wanted, which is had to be available on a web browser, not on a computer. This is how they do takeoffs for cladding. There's no scale rule. There's no you know, measure or anything else. You, you simply put your plans in, you scale them. Now, by the way, this guy is talking to us about how you do it. I'm going to use this minus deduction tool to pull out the windows. What I would suggest you do is you find Super. a takeoff program that works for you. You do it and you're going to have to do this quoting anyway, yeah? While you're doing it, you do what he's doing. He's talking to you to and explain how to use BuildExact. Yeah? If you're going to do quotes for people, do the quotes and use a tool called Loom, which is uh, a, basically it's the YouTube for screen recording. Um, it costs fuck all. You record your screen um, and it records whatever mic you want. So typically it's your, your computer mic or you can put you know, your headphones in and you talk about what you're doing as you're doing the quotes. 
that then captures what you're doing. It doesn't take you any extra time. You're still going to have to quote the freaking work. But now you've got a recording of it. When you hire an estimator, you just say, watch this. This is 10 quotes that I've done. And when I was doing them, I talked out loud every step of what I was doing. Because now I don't have to sit beside you and show you if they're like, oh, I didn't get that. How did you do those windows again? Like I saw you, it was easy enough to do that. But what did you click to do the takeoff of the windows? They just rewind the freaking video and they go, oh, what, what did they click? What did they click? Oh, it's something up here. You know, again, he's showing you, he's hovering over the tool. Um, great. All right, now I can see I click the deducts tool, um, you know, bang, and I can see how I do it. People can rewatch your videos. It is so much less time consuming than you having to sit beside them and teach them yourselves. We ended up, when I said we had seven estimators, by the way, guys, none of those were in Australia. We ended up recording videos for training for all of our quoting. And then we said, well, hang on, why do we need guys sitting in an office? We can do this for anywhere. They can do this from home. And then if they're not going to be at home rather than in the office, why do they need to be in Australia? You know, they need to be intelligent and capable and understand construction. Every one of those seven estimators had at least a master's degree. I'll talk to you more about offshoring later, but you, at least if you're doing it, capture it so someone else can do it for you. Um, all right. Now, what if you're not doing it off plans? Okay. I'm going to show you a few other things that you could do really easily. Um, this is for roofers. Now, solar panel guys use this as well. This is how to measure a roof off Google Maps. Now, again, this is a video. This guy's sitting in his car with his laptop showing you how he does this. Now, it's a 10-minute video. I'm not going to go you all through it. He's using a program that puts the roof, every ridge, every valley. You can get an area. If you're going to do re-roofing, if you're going to do roof restorations, if you're going to do, most solar companies do this now. Um, they will do a takeoff off Google Maps. Um, it doesn't need to be in your area. The, you know, here's um, another one, which is a diagram drawing tool. This one's called um, Xactimate. Again, you know, it's, it's go on Google Maps. Um, it's going, to, it's going to load, you know, zoom into a house and they picked one at random uh, and then they're going to go through and do takeoffs for a roof. Now, the reason I show you these guys is because roofs are harder than other flat surfaces because they're not flat. You know, they're, they're, they're out of pitch so that looking straight above doesn't fucking give you the total square metres that you need to do. These programs are designed with Google Maps with the 3D satellite view to figure out, you know, you can see there as it's... I missed that clip, but yeah. They have it where you can work out the pitch of the roof over here and you can work out the exact number of roof sheets of you know, um, uh, ridge capping, of valley boards, um, of guttering, of your know, clips, of everything else very quickly from Google Maps. Now, why is that important? Because if you're doing anything else external, if it's a driveway and it's got slope, you can use the same programs to figure out you know, the amount of concrete, where it's going to flow, your brickwork, your landscape gardening. Um, there's a whole range of things that you can do that are external straight from Google Maps. Now, if you can get someone to do this, again, if you can get someone in the Philippines, or we had estimators in Serbia, Mexico, Vietnam, around the world doing our quoting for us, you don't have to wait until you get an ask to do a quote. You, know? you can go and quote people. If you go, hmm, um, we're going to do driveway spraying. All right, well, how are you going to pick people to, to you know, be potential clients? Go on Google Maps, zoom in on you know, suburbs that uh, have got, you know, pick your target suburbs and maybe pick areas that don't have to be true. It might just be um, uh, new estates where they want to stand out. 
go, they've got a plain concrete driveway that's not that old. Zoom in, do an area takeoff, send them a quote, send them, you've got their address. Hey guys, wanted to let you know, we can spray this pattern on your driveway for X amount. We've already done a takeoff. Here you go. Right. You know what? That, that's going to cost you a $1.10 stamp plus whatever it costs you to print it and send it. If you can find the name, great. There's a range of ways you could do that. But um, you know, if you can even just say, hey, guys, enclosed is your personalized quote for doing your driveway, for doing landscaping in your backyard, because you, you can use Google Maps. You can see the date that it was taken and you find out that their yard is you know, in those new estates and it's just grass and it has been for two years. Awesome. Hey, do you want this? You can send them a personalized quote that you had done by someone in the Philippines who's costing you 30 cents an hour, right? And it's a way for you to do it online. This is super exciting. I've got an iPhone 12. I was waiting for ages to get it. I don't buy always a new iPhone. I was waiting for them to have 5G. It's got three cameras on it and it's got this Lydia. Have a look at this. I'm going to leave the audio on. It only goes for a minute. isn't just a phone. It's a new kind of power tool. With Canvas, you can use the iPhone 12 Pro to take thousands of measurements per second and digitize homes in minutes. Just download the Canvas app, stand close to the center of a room, and slowly spin like you're painting the walls with your phone. You can get a colorized 3D model in minutes and measure anything. Upload and share your 3D model with anyone. And you can even use your 3D scans to generate editable professional grade CAD formats like GCraft, Revit, and Sketchup. So you can plan, quote, and design with Canvas. Guys, how cool is that? Like, again, this is the stuff that. The camera does. And this is how the face recognition on, on phones like I don't know, Android, I, I use an Apple ecosystem. But, you know, it's taking all these measurements and it's turning it into to this. Now, I'd say right now, if you're doing quotes and you want to do an interior design, I don't want to see him. I want to see this. You know, bang. I want to see that I can turn that into a, a plan by walking into the house and, and going up and down. To me, the next step of this, by the way, is that you find out if your clients have got an iPhone 12 or a, an iPad Pro or whatever the, the camera is on a Samsung or Android or any other phone, and you go, we can give you a quote without coming to your house. We just need to, we'll, we'll give you a call. And then when you're there, we're going to send you a link to an app, download the app, do what it says. Paint, you know, there's a 60-second video. Stand there, look like you're painting the walls. Send us the file. We'll do you an AutoCAD mock-up. <laughs> we'll tell you how much it's going to quote without ever setting foot in your house. Imagine doing that with, COVID times, like this is an incredible sort of tool with the technology that people have got in their pockets, in their homes, you can now go in and do CAD drawings off someone's phone. Yeah, that is a way to massively accelerate the quoting that you're doing without having to put estimators on the road to go inside someone's home with a laser measurer to take photos and to figure it out and to come back and, and draw it up. Do it with your phone and, and then get, in fact, better. Get, and I said, this is something I haven't done yet. This is something that I've, I've found and I know about. I would be doing this to create CAD drawings if I was quoting for people, but that's still because I have to take my phone there. If you can market to people who've already got this technology in their pocket, you can get them to do it, send you the files. With, with this one, you have to pay a certain amount um, per uh, every um, set of photos that you turn into a CAD drawing. You just pay that. You, know, you don't give them access to the CAD drawings. Um, you just give them you know, a walkthrough tour and they can't get three other quotes because no one else has got the CAD drawings. 
it's a way to have a massive competitive advantage and quote for a fraction of the cost. You know, the, I mean, because the other thing that we, we didn't mention before, but you can do takeoffs on a roof or a driveway. If you go, oh, we do need to do an inspection, but for what it costs to get a drone these days, yeah, for a thousand bucks for a really good, like, um, what are they called, phantom drones with a GoPro on the bottom? Rather than going, we're going to organize to meet you at your house and then you know, they're running late and you've got to wait there and you've got to drive between and just go, look, we're just going to put a drone up. It'll be at this sort of time. We'll let you know. Um, and we've got a, a vehicle sign written. Go and do an inspection of the roof from a drone. Check how many tiles are cracked before you do a roof restoration. Because what we're trying to do is systemize your quoting and bring the cost down. The lower the costs for your quoting systems, the, the more quotes you can get done the higher value of quotes each month, even if your conversion rate is shit, you're quoting more faster for a lower cost, you're going to win more. You can grow your business. But, you know, it's always, it's the, the lifeblood of your company, but you're always hamstrung because you're going, for us, we were quoting 18 months ahead. So, you know, I needed three estimators to keep us busy as for the guys we were, but to grow, I needed five. So, you know, before we went offshore, that was another investment of 80 grand per person, 160 grand I had to invest in estimators for something that I wasn't going to do for 18 months. If I could, and that's why we went offshore with all of our stuff. If you can do stuff like this and go, we'll do your bathroom renovation, you know, we'll, we'll work out whatever it is um, for you um, just by looking from your phone and creating CAD drawings for a really low cost without having to get someone to drive an hour across town and meet you there and then they're running late and the kids are screaming and you've got to walk in the house and talk to them and chat to them. You can send them this. You can do it for such a fraction of the cost. And by the way, all the CAD drone stuff, again, it's done by someone in the Philippines. You have to do it for a high-cost person. The person who's high-cost is the person who gets on the phone and chats to them about this stuff. They don't even have to be someone who does CAD drawings. They're just a salesman. They're, they're training sales. Guys, this is so critical. I, I can't stress this enough that I want you to really think about how you can um, – scale your estimating using digital tools and using staff who, who don't necessarily have to be there um, paying you uh, paying a high cost. Let's jump back into it. You can see I'm passionate about that quoting. That, that guy's I like, can't stress enough. One more time. Pitching, quoting for life bloody company. Systemize that. Do it at a low cost. Enough said, move on. Own the indecision period. What do I mean by that? I said that before. Between um, when you pitch or quote and when they make a decision, they have this period of indecision. We call that the OTI, only indecision period. We would do as much as we could then to make sure that they used us. We had a whole range of strategies to make sure that it became inevitable that they used us. This is particularly important. Well, no, it's for everyone. Even I was going to say for, for B2C and for residential builders, but you know, the sort of things, I'll tell you what we did in commercial. We'd send them the quote as an email. Three days later, we sent them out via post in that big envelope, as I said, a big envelope with a pen. Uh, it was the, the, the shiny A4 folder was from Vista Print. That cost us like 75 cents each. They were glossy. You opened it up. They had a business card. They had two pockets for, for printed out paper. It had color printouts in it. On the left-hand side was just a sheet of how great are we? Here's our values. Here's what we do. Here's why you should use us over any other nuffy out there. On the right was a quote again, printed in color. You know, color laser printer from Officeworks didn't cost much. We went via post. Um, we then looked at what was it. We then sent them out a, um, a letter, typically. Um, now, I had a, a client once who said, oh, you know, we're, we're concerned about water leaking in, in this express joint in cladding. We had a huge problem with it. 
Um, the manufacturer um, said they would cover it. I won't say the name here, but um, they've done a lot of asbestos in the past and they're a prick of a company. They, they only warranted the product. They said, yep, you're right. That's that high-rise building in the city. Our product failed. Here you go. We're going to dump the, the product that will replace the product, but not the, the install. They dumped the product on the sidewalk in the city. Useless. So they just wanted to fix it. We said, right, we're going to invite you to a seminar. We happen to run seminars for our clients every six weeks. The next one coming up happens to be on this exact topic. No, it wasn't. I heard from my estimator. They're worried about it. And I freaking contacted our supplier and said, I want a seminar on this. And we worked it out, invited them. We had DVDs. Now, I know that that seems outdated. I don't have a DVD player in my house anymore. Um, you know, I've got an Apple TV. I've got a, a Facebook portal. Um, I've got Netflix, Stan, Disney Plus, all that. I don't have DVDs, but we're going back, guys, you know, 10 years ago um, when, when I started doing this. DVDs were the thing. We would record how to um, check that a frame uh, was quality. And I'd send it out to these guys going, look, I know that, that you guys know this, but do your staff. Did they know how to, to um, check a frame? And it was a simple video done with two of us on site with a camera. It cost me like 50 cents a DVD, as long as I got 500 of them, to have them printed with a colour thing on the back of it, put in one of those plastic covers with colour. Um, you know, they, they printed the colour thing, they put it in there and shrink-wrapped it. It looked like a professional DVD. And when we get that out, and then you know, we had all these other steps along the way that meant for us we had quite a long indecision period. It became inevitable that they would use us because they saw that as long as we could match you know, in, in the ballpark on price, we were obviously going to do a better job. If, you're, um, if you are one of three quotes and, and you're quoting, you know, it, it may be um, depending on the size of it. Um, if, uh, if you're doing a, a small job for a couple of hundred dollars, then having a, a text message go out going, hey, you know, thanks for the opportunity to quote. Um, uh, whoever you use, make sure that they have the foreign insurance because uh, you know, make sure that um, their truck is rated for your driveway. We always carry the following you know, um, load spreaders to make sure we don't crack your driveway. Um, if it does, you know, and even if it's the crossover of the council, the council will make you pay for it. They're going to back a truck up to take you know, all your rubbish away. Um, but if, they, if you haven't checked your driveway, you may find that your concrete's cracked. You've saved 50 bucks on the guys you use, but now you've got to get a letter from the council to replace your crossover over the footpath because their truck was too heavy. Yeah, no trucks may be too heavy to crack that for the size work you're doing, but that little text message will make them go, should have never thought about that. I don't want to pay 15 grand for a new driveway. Fuck, I'm going to use you because you helped me out. Even though it's only a $200, $250 job, a simple little text message can help you own the indecision period and win the work. Yeah, if it's a bigger thing, if you're doing a 15 grand death for someone, right, send them um, in the post. 10 tips. I'm making sure that the deck gives you what you need. Have you thought about where the sun is during the day, late in the day? Have you thought about you know, the height off the ground? Have you thought about whether you're going to have kids in it? Have you thought about whether dogs, you know, whatever it may be. Make sure it's not a, a nest for rats under it. If you say, we make sure your deck will never be able to be accessed by rats underneath. My wife is telling me to use you. She hates rats and mice. Whatever it is, send them 10 tips that they go, whoa. And it may be stuff that everybody does. You know, I, I know a windscreen company that did this. They said, you know, we make sure we don't leave any glass chips in the seat that can work their way into you and cause health issues. It's a requirement under the law that you do not leave glass chips in a car when you replace a windscreen. But no one else was talking about it. They're like, oh, we have to do that by law. Everyone has to. This company talked about it and the conversion rate went up two and a half times by simply talking about something that everyone was doing. So it, it may be 10 tips that every freaking person is going to build a deck is going to talk to you about. But by doing it, 
you own the indecision period. Cool. Run behind. So let's go. Talk about job profitability systems. Guys, this is key. This is so key. You quote, you win the work, turn it into a time budget. I'm going to talk about that in a sec. Measure your results for your team on site, reward or sanction, and then create estimating feedback. What is a time budget? Okay, I'm going to work out what my guys cost me per hour, um, if you want it. We have a, um, a very simple um, sheet which works out your hourly rate. Um, so once so start off, yeah, you come in here. Um, we've got a, like an eight minute video, so I won't show it to you now, but I can send you the link to the videos. Like, you know, putting the employee, what you're paying them per hour, travel allowance, all the other things. It's going to spit out per hour what they cost you on site, plus your overheads. And there's an overheads calculator in here to work out what your overheads are for the year. So because we're in a hurry here, let's just go. It's 100 grand your insurance, your office, your cars, everything else. How many staff? It's only 100 grand. You haven't got 25 staff. I'll give you the hot tip. Um, uh, you might have, no, I won't let you access that cell. So we'll have to change that. But yeah, let's say it's 100 grand for 25 staff. You've got contingency, your profit. This staff member is 102 bucks an hour. Work that out for every single staff member. Easy. Okay. Add them all up. And then I'm not going to show you this complex one because we don't have time. I can show you it at the end if we come, uh, if we get a chance to come back to it. I'm going to show you it really quickly um, over here. So you do a quote. Choose use nice round figures. The quote is $10,000. Yeah. Then you've got five staff in your company and you want the average cost per man hour. That's per man hour. So every hour they're on site. Now that's got to include all the things I just said. So overheads, contingency. Now, obviously it's got to include their leave loadings, their on cost, their super, their work cover. So um, in fact, I'm just going to call that what I should, which is their, their on cost. That's actually the first thing you work out before you add it. But anyway, on costs. And then super important, your profit. Right. Add that up average across the company. Let's use round figures. Let's go that it costs you $50 per hour to pay for your overheads, your contingency, their costs on site, plus your leave, your public holidays, your superannuation, your work cover, and you make your target 15% profit, 50 bucks an hour, right? So we know that for our 10 grand job, our average is $50 per hour that we are on site, right? So how many hours do we have to do that? We divide 10 grand by 50. We have 200 hours. Yeah. That, that's what you have to do that job and make your target 15% profit, right? Um, if you go more than that, less than that, you're not going to make your profit. Um, I was going to show you this beautiful big spreadsheet, but I'm not because it'll, it'll just take too much time and, and we are running behind. We'll go into it in far more detail in the, the stuff we generally do. 200 hours, right? You're going to put two guys on this job, 40 hours a week. They've got 2.5 weeks to finish it. Yeah, that becomes their time budget. Only thing is, it's too hard to measure that. So what do you do? You go, right, um, uh, let's call it a deck. Talking about, ah, why am I animal? I'm having it look good. It doesn't really matter. It's a deck. So the first thing we're going to do is have um, stumps. Now that I'm going to call three days. Now I'm not going to call it that. What I would actually do um, is... I wouldn't just 
guesstimate this, I would go in my quoting system that I have worked out over time, um, I know that is X dollars. Now, again, this isn't something simple anymore. We're going eight hours a day per guy, 50 hours per day, on average, $400 per day. Two guys, $800 per day of work that they need to get done. Okay, the stumps, it turns out, I quoted $2.4,000 for 2.4K. Yeah, that therefore equals three days times two guys. I would put it on their time budget as, I wouldn't actually put it in this way, that their time budget, because again, they don't want to see numbers. That's why we call it a time budget. Budgets are scary, big, big sheets of numbers. Um, it becomes a number of hours, right? So what's that? 16, 32, 48 hours. Just happens to be two guys for three days. All right, what's next? Ferris and Joyce, another three days for two guys, 48 hours. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to put, you know, um, uh, deck boards. Um, we're going to have plinth boards. We're going to have handrails. Yep. Each of these is going to have X number of hours. Now, we ended up with all of our guys doing this on tablets. I'm going to just switch over and show you um, how you can do it before then. Let's see if we've got it open for you. Yep. So a really simple way to do it um, without using uh, a tablet is to how we started, which was to use. Uh, we printed these out in A3 bits of paper. Um, and, yeah, you would um, put up here. And this is multiple you know, buildings. So you go, right, you've got your deck. Um, and I've got stumps, bears and joists, deck boards, etc. Um, over here, time breakdown, they've got 48 hours. Yeah, 48 hours. Um, and they can see from the start how long they had to do it each day. So they got there, right? So it's this job, it's this report date. Here's your leading hand. Um, the date verified, verified apparently, that should be verified. Um, they would simply print out this bit. Of, we'd print out this bit of paper and they go, right, well, today there's two of us. We both did stumps all day. No worries. Yeah. In the bottom down here, that was you, your running total. So 16. If I did another 16 hours today or tomorrow, and it's hard to do it because I'm doing it on a computer, but basically you put in 16 and then on the other side, the, the running total is now 32. So they can see on the bottom there, they're adding it up. You know, for the next day, it's 16 hours again. Or you know, ideally, they did 12 hours on it, um, and therefore the running total is 44, and they're finished. Great. You know, they still did 16 hours work. The next four hours, they're doing bears and joists. Now, that can be text through to you, photo through to you each day. I can go out there on day two, and I know what I'm doing as a supervisor. So I go, yep, you guys are probably 70% of the way through, and you've used only 60% of the hours. Fantastic. You guys are on track to make sure that we make money on this deck. I'm not waiting for two and a half weeks in. I can see on day two by having a simple time budget that they can see. The cumulative total is for when you've got ones. This used to be a fortnight at a time. Went more than a fortnight. You came back here and you put in right. You've already done 44 hours on that. So they need to go back and change it. They can, they can see. It is a really simple system that doesn't show that you know, any guy on the tools can, can use that we just termed a time budget. Um, and it was a way for us to track whether or not our jobs were on target to make money. 
by getting the leading hands to record hours each day. Now, we didn't ask them to be accountants and lawyers. We didn't say bill us in a six-minute increment. We just said, guys, at the end of the day, when you're packing up, if you've got five guys on site, ask them each what they did. Oh, look, I was um, you know, working with Joe doing his dumpster. I was doing architraves of doors or I was painting the driveway, whatever it is. I was over there until Smoko. Then we sort of jumped on that. I did between Smoko and lunch. I did sort of half my time here, half my time there. Okay, roughly. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's not an exact science. It just gives you an indication of what is going well and what's going slowly. So you can pick it early and you can change things early if you need to. Um, that is so critical to measuring your profitability of your job. You know, every single job should have a designated number of hours. It doesn't matter if it's a $200 job. The guys need to know that they have 45 minutes travel there. They have half an hour on site to do the job and then 45 minutes travel to the next one. Track each bit of those. Did they or did they not hit those targets? If it took them an hour to get there, there's a question, why? Oh, there was shit traffic. Okay, we can check that easily enough. It took you longer, why? You know, we're standing there having smoke breaks for, for an hour. How, what are your expectations for them on how long they have to do this, this job to make sure that you not only cover their costs but make money? That's where you measure the results. Reward or sanction. Hey, guys, in that example I just showed you, you know, they did the deck in under time. You're going 10% under. Pat on the back on a lollipop. Good work, guys. Keep it up. Bank those hours when you need it later on. Okay, guys, you had an hour to load that, um, that stuff up at that site and it took you an hour and a half. What the fuck? You know, we might have to talk about this sanction. Um, over time, that's the people who you're going to get rid of who can't make you money. You, you know whether or not they're the right people because you've given them what your expectations are, you've measured your results, and they can reward a sanction. This is the absolute brilliant part of this system. It feeds back to your estimating. If it turns out that your stumps are consistently taking you less time than you're quoting for, you can adjust down your quoting rate. If it's taking longer than expected to do, you lay your decking boards, you quote up. It gives you feedback to make sure whether or not the rates that you're quoting at are going to make you money. It is so simple, but it is so critical. Um, we go into that in quite a bit of detail. If you've got questions, I'm happy to send you through all of those templates that we use. Um, and definitely I can send you the link to the, the hourly rate stuff because there's no fucking point in growing and making money. And you might be making good money while it's you on the tools doing it. Once you step away, how do you know if other guys are? And don't be the seagull manager who just, seagull managers are never around, but when they do, they come in, make a lot of noise, shit on everybody and leave. People don't like working for that, that sort of company. And if you don't know if they're doing a good job or not, the tendency is to come in and go work faster, work harder, do more. You need to tell them what success looks like. So figure out exactly this, what it looks like to be success, to find success. Because guys, the thing to realize is everyone wants to be a success. Now, I spent months with, with one of my mentors defining what success means as a, a philosophical debate for life. I'm not going to get you into that. I'm just saying they don't want to feel like they're shit. Now, I've hired plenty of chippies who their definition of success is doing good work that they're proud of. Fantastic, guys. I love you at your thing. You want to do good work that you're proud of, but I don't want to lose money while you're doing it. You have to do good work to an acceptable quality at a reasonable speed. So I need to define what success is for my team. So for me... It is acceptable quality because if they're doing a frame, I don't need them to be building a bit of furniture. You know, two, three mils is a fine tolerance. When they're doing a fix, half a mil is an acceptable tolerance for me on a miter joint for an arc. So it's got to be acceptable for the job and it's got to be done in a timely manner. And the time is set by my time budget. Easy. We would incentivize our guys to do that. There's a range of ways we would do it. 
Um, am I going on time for this? Yeah, look, I'm going to push it, but I'll see if I can get through it because this is really key. We ended up with a system where every one of our project managers got the bonus above it. So if we said, you know, we would have like 10,000 hours in, in a project or something, often even more. Um, for every hour they come under, they got that amount. What I mean by that, um, if it was $50 an hour, was the average rate, and we wanted to do it in 200 hours, right? And they did it in 180 hours. They did it in 20 hours less. They would get 20 times 50 bucks. Yeah. So that equaled a bonus to them, $1,000 in their hot little hands for coming in under budget. That was how we incentivized our project managers to care about those time budgets because it lined their pockets. It was it absolutely revolutionized our business from a profitability point of view. There are some dangers to it because one of the things we were doing beforehand, when we were just doing time budgets, um, we had to constantly monitor um, profit and speed. So how fast were the guys going? Yeah. As soon as we started to do the incentive scheme over here, this wasn't an issue anymore. We didn't have to care about staff performance. If we had someone who's a no hope for the project manager called, get this guy off my side. If I see him again, I'm going to hit him with a hammer. They didn't want anyone who was costing them money because we were guaranteed to make our set percentage now. Everything above it went to them. They managed the staff. They managed the profit. They managed the speed. We had to manage quality and safety because guess what? Now that the guys were so focused on the extra money and, and to put this in perspective, um, going back for the last financial year, the highest paid person in our company was 23, I think he's still 23, maybe 24. He earned 260 grand in a year. Carpenter. Started with us as a first-year apprentice. Went through his time, got qualified, became a leading hand, project manager. He was running big projects for us. He made $260,000. Like 80 grand of that was base pay. The rest of it was bonus. Phenomenal. Significantly the highest paid person in the company through this system. Had no time for anyone who was doing shit work. He actually did quality work because he realized that rectification is what are killing them. But there's the temptation to cut corners on safety. As a director, you're responsible for safety. You have to monitor that like a hawk because suddenly they're going to cut corners on safety to make their money, to protect their his quarter of a million dollar annual salary. So it was phenomenal, but um, you have got to think about what the downstream consequences are for this, but at least it kept us fucking profitable. We just put that extra money into safety managers and quality managers. Non-monetary um, can be even more powerful. You know, when I said having that time budget, we had a school in officer that we stuffed up. There were windows externally. Okay, we counted the windows. We measured them up on the, the elevations. We know how many lineal meters of architraves there are. Quoted than that, away we go. Problem is it's a school. All the internal buildings um, had, uh, <laughs> had freaking architraves as well. All of the internal walls had these weird shaped um, architraves. And they can see two of me, wonderful. I'm going to leave it like that. We hadn't counted those windows and we hadn't counted that on an internal wall, you've got twice the number of architects, one side and the other. So we'd fucked it up. We were going to lose $45,000 on this project because like five, 7% of the way through it, we were doing weekly reports. We're getting the figures daily in the weekly report. My supervisor came to me and said, here's what it is. Here's my operations manager going, man, we're so far behind. I've been there. We've, the estimators are muffed. Okay, it's not their fault. We're not going too slow, but we, we, we're going to lose money. But they were also kept going slower than we thought because of the architecture. So I went out there and I spoke to the guys and saw what was happening with my own eyes and 
said, how fast do you think you'd go? And they sort of gave me an indication. I went away. I had five guys on there. I knew them. You know, uh, um, I knew what they liked. Um, you know, we had sort of 50 guys in the company at the time, but it was small enough to, for me to individually know them um, from, from company barbecues and things. I printed out three things. One was a day of V8 supercar racing. One was some track down near Geelong where you could take your own four-wheel drive and they would show you how to drive it as hard as you could, you know, up the steepest hills, across ridges, in big rocky bits and down through, through rivers. They would teach you how to, to hammer it. The other one was a tandem spiral. I had two petrol heads. I had two guys who loved coming back with dirty four-wheel drives on the weekend and I had one adrenaline junkie. I printed them out on, on really thick, nice paper and I took it in and I said, guys, here's the deal. I'd expected us to be doing these at seven lineal metres an hour, which is where I figured out I was going to make profit. You know, I hadn't. I'd quoted it like three or four, but I'd fucked up the quoting. So seven lineal metres an hour is where I need to be. You said you reckon you can get it to like three and a half. If you can get it to five lineal metres an hour, you can take your pick of these and I handed over the flyers. Take your pick of these. I'll pay for you to go and do these. They're like, oh, wow, that's awesome. Great. Their eyes popped out of their head. This is incredible. Our boss is going to pay him to go four-wheel driving or be out supercar racing. Five linear metres an hour was my break-even point for that project. I said to them, guys, if you can get to seven linear metres an hour, I'll give you a paid day off to go and do this. <laughs> Fucking really? Yeah, absolutely. They couldn't believe it. Suddenly, they forgot I was there. They're huddling, figuring out how to go faster. They ended up getting to like 5.4 linear metres an hour. They didn't, they didn't hit their seven. They all got their thing, um, but none of, them, none of them got the paid day off to do it. I didn't lose my 45 grand and I made a little bit of money because five, um, five linear metres an hour was my break-even. I saved $45,000 for the company, stopped that, stemmed that bleeding. It cost me two and a half grand. They reached like $500 experiences. If I'd said to my guys, I'm going to give you $500 if you can go this fast, they would have gone, not even one night out. Are you kidding? Tight ass? <laughs> because I said to them, it's a non-monetary bonus. They didn't think of it in dollar terms. They thought of this incredible experience. They worked their ringer off to get a $500 experience. Yeah, non-monetary can be incredibly powerful. I, I, because I had a time budget and I saw what the problem was and identified it early, I was able to stem the bleeding and the whole thing cost me 2.5K. And we made more than that on it, but more importantly, I stemmed the loss of 45K. Oops, 45K. So thinking about managing your team's performance is critical. All right, what are we going to cover in the 20 minutes we've got left? Um, trust but verify. I'm just going to say, just do it. Don't not trust your staff. You have to trust them, but don't check everything. Audit, check a few points of it. You know, go and check 5% of their work. If it all ticks off, leave it at that. Randomly check 5% in another month's time. If 5% of it you got problems with, check another 5%. Got problems with that? Okay, mate, we've got an issue. Let's come aside. I've checked 10% of your work and it's fucked. I'm going to check it all. If you're going to check all their work, there's no point in being there and hire another staff. You may as well do it yourself but you don't just blindly trust verify everything for every employee. There's lots of stories about where they can go wrong. I love this little story. This is my first ever virtual estimator. His name is Kiet. He is a professor of civil engineering. He has a PhD in civil engineering and he works at Ho Chi Minh City International University in Vietnam, communist country. He was paid by the state 150 US dollars a month, stipulated pay rate. He came working for us 45 hours a week and we paid him US $600 a month. That's 7,200 US dollars a year. It's what, 11 grand Australian? <sighs> For a guy with a PhD, a professor, costs us 11 grand Australian, 45 hours a week. I'm going to repeat that, 45 hours a week. Yep, that was costing us 11 to 12 grand 
Australian employee yet. He still keeps in touch with him. This is a recent photo. The first one I got from him was, was a few months later. He's like, oh, thank you so much, Mr. Craig. Um, I just wanted to let you know my parents don't have to work anymore. They're getting quite old. The bodies that are in down, they, they don't have to work anymore. Um, thank you. It was like six or seven months after we'd hired him. He sent me a photo. At the time, he had three, these guys here. Um, he sent them photos of them in these new uniforms. He said, thank you so much, Mr. Craig. My, thanks to you, my kids are now going to the best private school in Ho Chi Minh City. Um, they've now got this little tacker because this is going back, I don't know, seven or eight years ago now um, as well. Uh, they've gone through, graduated, they're at uni. His wife no longer works. He sent me another message, you know, when she got to stop working as well. Um, why? Because we were suddenly paying them. I mean, he doesn't just earn 11 or 12 grand. He earns like 25 grand Australian now through bonuses um, because we incentivize guys on, on dollars quoted and accuracy. Um, and I can tell you that system at some point where it's, it's not just output, it's making sure it's quality quoting um, that we get done. You know, for us, 25 grand is a pittance. I can't hire a freaking new graduate for that who's done an diploma level thing. You know, that's a 40, 50 grand hire for me. This guy, it's incredible. You know, we changed his life. He still lectures out of interest. He just hires someone to do the marketing and the boring shit. We, we buy paying him four times what he could earn locally to come and work for us. It's a bargain for us. incredible for him. We pay a minimum of two to three times what someone can earn in the local economy when we hire them offshore. And we are hiring super high caliber people who just didn't win the lotto of life as to where they were born. That's the little ethics thing I'd say around it. If you want to know more about it, this guy here, good guy, wrote this book because it revolutionized how I do business. You'll probably have heard of virtual assistants. We called our guys virtual estimators, VEs. They can do so much for you. They're incredible people. I like to pay them well what they do and for where they are but you can really change some lives and it can change your business as well these are the sort of things very quickly again if you want the book like you can you can go onto amazon and you can buy this book um and you, you'll get it if you want it i'll send you a hard uh, not a hard copy a pdf copy um yeah um yes it is a real book yes i have them yes you can buy one i can post your copy cheaper than amazon probably but um i'll, I'll send you an ebook any of the stuff you said here send me an email, um, send me a DM, whatever, um, reach out, I'll, I'll send it through. Um, any receipts and purchases, your invoicing and your payroll should be done by people offshore. Every small admin task, your estimating should be done by people offshore as much as possible. If you have to go to the people's homes and quote, that's fine. How much of it can you do offshore? We've talked about you going there and taking these CAD drawings with a phone, turning that into a CAD drawing and doing the stuff can be done offshore. You don't have to do it all. Pricing it can be done offshore. Yeah, there is a percentage of every set of quote thing can be done offshore. Even if it's taking off the plans and does not even of the work and you have to come and check 10% of it and make sure that the key details are there, well, now you can quote 10 times as much. Well, not true because to check the last 10% probably takes you know, more time than, than just doing the, the quote yourself. It's not going to be 10 times as fast, but it will be, you'll do five times as much quoting by having someone getting 90% of it done for you and ready to go. Um, and, and five times as much quoting for, for the same amount of time as you're putting in, whacking on a 20 grand a year cost for someone offshore. Jesus, can you reckon? Because 5% of quoting, by the way, like we said, it's the lifeblood. That means 5% more work at the front end means you need five times as many guys as you've got right now. You're going to make five times as much profit, five times as much turnover for the same amount of work you're spending quoting and for paying someone offshore 20 grand a year. Fuck me. If you're not doing it, do it. Following up the quotes, texts, emails, 
Hello, how are you guys going? Just wondering if you've made a decision yet. Doing your whole only decision period, researching clients and their jobs. You know, all these things can and should be done offshore. These are the programs you use to find people. This uses what's called gigs. So it is preset if you want, um, you know, they tell you what it is. So if you want business cards, if you want a logo, um, things like that, you can go on and you can find someone who designs business cards. It'll cost you 10 bucks. Yeah, Fiverr was originally five US dollars um, for, for each gig. It's different cost now, but you can go on and find someone who'll design you a logo um, for, for five bucks, which is about seven bucks Australian. Yeah, um, you can find someone who'll then turn that into a business card for you. I don't know why you're using business cards. Forget that. Um, don't know why I said it. I used to do them, but you know, uh, no one uses business cards anymore. We're, we're paperless. What is it that um, that you can be getting people to do for you? Those guys have already decided and given you a price. Here, you post a job. It's like Airtask or Offshore. You post a job. People bid on it. You pick someone. You pay the money to Upwork. And they hold it in trust. They're a US company, so they call it escrow. And then when the work's done, they pay the freelancer. Upwork pays them. If you're not happy, you say, I'm not happy. They will step in as the mediator and decide whether or not the work's been done, whether you should be refunded or not. Really simple system. Recruiting the right staff. We are nearly out of time, so I can't go through this in detail other than to say, find out what you want your people to have first because your staff are the lifeblood of your company. And it's not true. I've said that about quoting. Whether or not you have a company in two years' time will be dependent on the staff you have. You can win all the work in the world through the lifeblood, through the quoting, and then muff up the delivery of it. And you'll spend a fortune rectifying it. People won't use you again. You'll get a terrible reputation and you'll be bankrupt from not having the right staff. So recruiting them is key. You only can get so big by recruiting people from who you know, from the footy club, from mates and mates. Eventually, you're going to end up going on seat. What did we do? I ended up creating a six-stage recruitment process on Seek. Seek.com.au. They'd send me an application. We would send them an email, pro forma back. Hey, we love your application. No one likes applying for a job. It sucks. On there, it had a position description as a PDF attachment. It also had a link to an online questionnaire. Would have taken, there were like 90 questions on that. A lot of people wouldn't even bother. So it rooted out the ones that, that were not interested. They'd just done the scattergun approach. You know, apply, 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 apply. We then looked at the online questionnaire. Answers. 80% of them knocked themselves out from that. We didn't look at all 90 questions. I didn't give a shit about most of them. I cared about three to four questions. One example, I never hired a smoker. Smokers take breaks every hour on a construction site. They can wander off, have a smoke. Great. Sometimes you're going to do it twice an hour, five minutes. Five minutes, that's 10 minutes an hour smoking, eight hours a day. Losing 18 minutes of productivity from you. Plus, they have more absentee days, more sick days. You can tell they don't like smokers. Um, I don't want to hire them. So what did we do? We said, in their multiple choice question, we have a non-smoking policy on all of our sites. This means you can smoke before work, after work, or on breaks. Option one, that's okay, I'm a non-smoker. Option two, that's okay, I'm a social smoker. Option three, that's okay, I'm a smoker, but I can handle this. Option four, I'm a smoker, I'm going to struggle with it. Or I'm a smoker and I'm no longer interested in the job. If you ticked anything but option one, I'm a non-smoker. We threw out your application right there and then social smoker is code for I'm trying to quit, but I'm going to, as soon as I'm on a site and I can waste 80 minutes a day smoking, bang, I'm back on a fucking packet a day. So we had a whole bunch of questions there. You know, Rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 for punctuality. If you were anything less than a nine or 10, get fucked. Not somebody's not going to show up. 
Phone screen was the next one. Don't do it yourself. I had someone in the office do it. It takes five minutes. It's basically an are you human? Are you guys fucking, you know? Oh, I just thought it was fucking good. Thanks for that coming, mate. See you later. If they sounded professional, sounded human, we'd consider progressing into the next stage. We did a group interview. Six people at a time. They did psychometric testing. Took two and a half hours. We tested them on maths, English, mechanical reasoning, personality profile. Sounds complicated. It's a paper-based test. You read out the instructions. I did a two-day course from ACR to get accredited. Then I trained my staff to do it. It takes fucking no time. Just read the instructions, fill it out, put the overlay on it, get the answers. We now knew that we had guys who could read and write, who could do the maths because carpentry is all maths, who had mechanical understanding and ability. You know, this cog turns that way. There's a belt. What way does that one go? They're not just book smart. We then did a formal interview. And then we did a reference check. The reason I found this out from developing stuff over time, what are the two easiest things to fudge in the recruitment process? It is the resume that you're sending at the start. And the interview, what do most people rely on when they're hiring? The resume and the interview. Hardest things to fudge, psychometric testing and a reference check. Do these. It will increase the number of good hires you have versus miss hires. Make sure you're hiring the right guys. We developed this over time. This, by the way, took them weeks to do. That made them value the job as much as anything. The process here, having it lengthy, makes the people value the job. They're less inclined to, inclined to quit when something goes wrong. If you give them a job in a day, rock up, give them an interview, yep, I don't value it. They think I can get another job just as easily. Induct them so they feel part of the team. Out of time, so I won't cover that. Finding the right staff. Keeping the right staff is just as important. How to do that? Find out what they want and then tie it into your company's goals. So that goal sheet I showed you before, what do you want? I've closed it so I can't show you. I'm going to pull it up. There's that goal sheet. That is where you want to be personal, career and wellness just swap back over here do another one of those where do they want to be for personal career and wellness in one three and five years time yeah so one three five instead of one five ten find out what they want and then how can you help them achieve that i had one guy whose goal was to play rugby for victoria well part of our thing was we paid our guys to stretch every morning and every night Yep, he loved us because of that, because we ticked this box. He didn't think he was going to get injured. He wasn't as likely to get injured. What did we need to do to tie him to us for life? During winter, we gave him every Saturday off so that he could play rugby. He had two nights a week. It was like Tuesday and Thursday that he trained. He didn't have to work OT on those days. That was the deal. We said, no worries, Tuesdays and Thursdays. We will let make sure you're offside in time to travel to your training ground. Now, it depends on where he was. If he was 10 minutes around the corner, he would work up until you know, 10 minutes before he was due to start training. If he was in freaking Williamstown, he could leave an hour before training started. We promised him that he would always get to training on time and he'd have Saturdays off during winter, provided he made it up by working the Saturdays in summer. He agreed without hesitation. Because we knew what mattered to him, we could build it around. It was easy. Now, if someone says they want to start their own business, yeah, own business, no worries. That's the best thing ever. They're going to go and compete against you. Some people say, so what? Do you know how hard it is to run a business? Fucking oath. It sucks. There's a lot to it. These guys, usually 12 to 18 months later, phone call, hey, Craig, can I have my job back? Sure. Do you know why? Not only were they good employees to start with, but they've now gone and got 12 or 18 months worth of experience doing it themselves. They rusted on to us because they don't want to do that again. They don't want to have to chase money, you know, find work, all that shit that goes with running your own business. They've given up on it. But 
they know how hard it is. They've got that knowledge. They're bringing it back to you. Awesome. We would spend two years helping them learn how to run their own business to an extent. They still, they're still going to not realize how hard it is to get paid and do all that stuff. We would work over three years to get them out there on their own. If they wanted to be a builder, we'd get them, help them get their building ticket. No worries. We ran Cert 4s, building construction. Every couple of years, we ran Cert 4s in diploma, uh, the, sorry, Cert 4s in project management. We ended up doing a diploma of project management for our guys as well. They can sign up to. We're helping them get the quals to get where they wanted to go. Great. Someone comes along and offers them an extra five bucks an hour. No way. Unless you're going to help me do the courses to get where I want to go in three years' time, thanks for coming. and see you later. By finding out what your staff want, by finding out what their goals are, what they want, and by helping them achieve it, yeah, helping them achieve it, you will keep them for a lot longer because they're not going to jump ship for five bucks an hour for an extra 10 grand from someone else um, because what you're giving them is so much more valuable than what someone can give them just for money. This is such a simple but key tool. Use that goal sheet to find out what your staff want and then help them get it. These are some really simple tools that you should have right now. If you're not using Zero, use it. QuickBooks, my fuck is my I used it years ago. It was built for accountants. This is built for business owners. If you're already set up on QuickBooks and my don't change right now. But end of financial years in like you know 17 days, it's a good time to be set up here. This is a timesheet app we used. When we started, it was the only good one around. There's lots of them now. Use something similar. I don't care which one you use. I do care here. Use zero. Deputy, I don't care which one you use. This is something that when they get to site, they open up their phone, they hit sign on, it drops a GPS pin on where they are and it timestamps it. Sign off, same thing. You want to talk about how to make sure they use it. We haven't got time now, but there's really simple ways to make sure they use it. Um, yeah, well, I'll give you one quick one. If they're not signing on or off, say, right, you won't get paid in this pay cycle. We'll get paid next pay cycle. We need you to go and get a stat deck signed by a justice of the police or a police officer to say that you're actually on site or you left there. You know they did. You trust them. doesn't matter. You don't want the stat deck. You want to make it a pain in their ass. They will whinge to everyone else about having to get this fucking stat deck signed. But you know what? They'll remember to sign off next week or they'll remember to sign on. And everyone else will hear them whinge and won't do it. This is called Dex now. It's the worst rebranding in history. Receipt Bank is so much more memorable. So I'll put that logo on there. Um, every time you buy something, you grab your phone, you open a receipt bank, you take a photo, it uploads your um, receipt, it scans it, it pulls the data out of it, you check it, bang, it's uploaded to zero or whatever platform you're using, um, but use zero. Um, and it just means you don't have to keep track of receipts. You don't have to enter them at the end of the year. They're auto-scanned and entered. It's fucking brilliant. They're quick, simple, use those tools. Cash flow. We do not have time to go through cash flow now because I've talked too much during this. Um, and honestly, it's a very complex topic. It will kill most construction businesses. Just know that you need to manage it. I have not yet found a simple tool that will do it for you. You need to build a big spreadsheet and you need to put things in there. Here's when we expect the money to really come in, not when it's due to. And here's where we expect it to go out. What can we push and what can't we? You, know, you have to pay you guys. They will walk if you don't. Most of them won't be able to put petrol in their car because they're living you know, week to week, hand to mouth. They get paid first. Your supplier second. You know, you can push your lawyer and accountant back. Sorry, guys. Yep, Jace, if you watch this, didn't say that out loud. You can pay your lawyers and accountants later, though. They don't care as much. Um, so, you know, figure out who you can and can't pay late. Um, and you have to do that by making sure that you don't run out of cash. This is critical to a business. Cash flow is king. Getting paid. I'm just going to handle this really simply. Put this on every invoice you have. 
using zero, if you're not using zero, put it on as your, your template, put it in 0.6 font. It doesn't matter where it is or how small it is, but it should say these exact words. This is a payment claim made out of the Security Payments Act. The full and resounding name is the Building and Construction Industry Security Payments Act. And then by year, it's a different year for each state. It is a, an act designed to get subbies paid. I'm not going to talk about it long now. I'm technically out of time. So if you want to leave, no worries. Shoot us a message if you want any of the templates. If not, it's going to go a few minutes over because we're out. Um, but this gives you a whole lot of powers under an act which was solely designed for subcontractors to get paid and not get screwed by builders and clients. Put it on your invoices. Um, it opens up a whole range of it powers that you don't have otherwise. BCAT, NCAT, QCAT, depends on what state you're in, they've all got a CAT. It's a civil administrative tribunal. It's a low cost way without lawyers to get paid. They're very backed up COVID um, times. Uh, they're done on Zoom as well, which is handy. It used to be, you know, sort of six weeks wait, you'd go in um, and you would get a hearing. Um, and if the other person didn't shop, you generally get awarded your money and it can turn into a court order. It's a bigger amount. If you're a company, you sometimes need to use magistrate's court. If you are a company, not a sole trader, and you should be, you will need to use lawyers. Lawyers cost money. It's a pain in the ass. There is more dollars here. Um, but it often, you know, I, I have filed in, in magistrates and in county court a number of times. I've never actually rocked up or had to rock up because when they get the um, the, the writ and they realize you're serious and you paid a lawyer to it, they're like, oh, let's settle. Like, fucking let's settle because you know you're going to lose. Tool bag. Sole trader versus company. In a nutshell, this has huge risks for you. If you do something and um, it goes pear-shaped, you don't have public liability and you drop a hammer on someone's car. If, if you build something and it falls down, whatever it may be, you know, it can be as simple as, as dropping a tin of paint and it hitting someone or you know, spilling all over a nice car or you know, even something drops out the back of you. Generally, you've got public liability for that. But if you build something and, it, and there's um, huge defects to it, if um, you pay subbies for years and they come after you, and say, I want all my back pay, super and annual leave, et cetera, whatever it is, anything that your company could potentially be liable for, or your business, I should say, could potentially be liable for you, the sole trader, are liable for. They can take you, your car, the clothes off your back, your house, anything, any asset you own. They can sue you and get a court judgment, and they don't have to enforce it now. They can enforce it through the sheriff. The sheriff will come and knock on your door and say, right, in my case, hello, Mr. Robinson, you owe this, that, or the other. We're going to take things that we can see. You've got a car registered to your name, so we're going to take that. This is your house. We're taking your house. Here's a repossession notice. What else do you own? We're going to sell it because it's in my name. Sorry, just bang the microphone. That's not going to sound good at your end. Um, if I'm a company, they can only take the things that the company owns. We have what's called a $2 shelf company. We had one ownership company and then we had like five companies down here. These ones were trading companies. These ones employed the staff. These ones were where we had the supplier contracts. And this one had all the IP. This one here was the only one that ever made profit. All the other ones paid their money to them and we licensed out all the stuff. And by intellectual property, I mean the stuff I've been telling you all this time, giving away for free, you know, our time budgets, all of our proprietary systems that we had built were owned here and we licensed to these companies here. So they just made break even and all of them went here. So if we had a contract that went seriously pear-shaped, we just wound up one company. We didn't have to wind up the whole thing, yeah? That's how we went about making sure that we were covered from risk. If you're not a company and you want to be, I can show you how to do that very, very cheaply. Reach out of a great accountant. Basically, if you agree to sign up with him for a couple of years, you'll just do it for free. Um, and it's not a big cost, like a couple hundred dollars a month to have all your accounting looked over. 
and, and then you know your risk is managed and you don't have to stress about have I created an audit and things like that. So I've employed a business owner for passive income. If you're working on the tools right now, most of you guys will be here. You want to move to here. That's what we are helping you do. And eventually the idea would be here. How do you do it? Build systems. That's what this whole thing's been about. Build your systems. Grow the business, grow the team. They appear and I feel like I need to circle them anyway. Mentor your senior employees. Why? Because they are going to take over and buy a minority equity holding from you. Um, I have got a template that I would love to show you guys. We don't really have time now, but um, why not? If you're still here and you want, I'll very, very quickly um, pull it up. Uh, it's showing you all of them. That's no good, is it? Um, this is the one I want, but I can't pull it up. So um, that's not going to work. I'm going to change the way I am doing it. I'm going to try and share screen from over here. Bear with me a sec, guys. All right, better intent. This is what we give to an employee who wants to buy into your business. Um, what does it look like? Well, like this. Um, dear John Doe, we invited to join Thriving Traders as a business partner and director. That's key. This, this part right here, they're going to be a director and a business partner. They will likely own 10%. Nobody knows that. They will tell their friends they're a business partner. People will assume partner means equal partner. It does not but they won't know that the ego is the biggest thing here. They will tie them into this business more effectively than anything else. This is a simple letter. Um, this letter will become legally binding and it may be relied upon. It's a plain letter document. So we go through shareholders agreement. Yeah, he agrees to take an annual salary of hundred grand. Um, we talk about when his salary will go up. We talk about um, he will purchase 10% of thriving tradies and he'll purchase it for 200 grand. Here's how he pays it back. In these ways, basically, if he's going to pay it back over the next five years, in this case, 10 years, you are letting an employee who currently doesn't own part of your business own 10% of it as a business partner and director. You can pick whatever figure you want out of the air here because it's not their money that they're paying. It's money that they're going to pay out of dividends or profit or other things. You're basically giving it to them without saying that you're giving it to them because you would never give stuff away. Um, they run the business for you. You get paid back, say if it's you know, um, 200 grand, then you might say, right, I'm getting paid that. I wouldn't say 10 years, I'd normally say five. Right, so that's 40 grand a year getting on that. You're going to chair the advisory board and mentor them. That is a role that you will get fees for. I was paid 120 grand a year um, for my fees as chair of the advisory board without being an ASIC appointed director. You know, my repayment was 60 grand a year because it was 300 grand um, for the, the shares that I sold. Um, over a period of five years. So I've got an extra 60 grand a year just in that. So this is a way, and this is the secret source of what we do when you've grown and systemized your business. This is a way to get your senior employees in um, running your business for you, right? This is absolutely the secret source. Um, so if you can get it to a point where your employees are um, running your business, they feel like they are the owners of it because they're directors, partners, you know, they're, they're telling everyone else, I'm a business partner, I'm a director of this company. They're the only ASIC appointed directors. They're paying you for their equity over time. And the way we did it was simply say, guys, take a pay freeze. You're going to get a step up, you know, from construction director to managing director. That would normally come with a pay increase. You're going to stay with a pay freeze. That increase that you're going to pay to me for paying off your equity. Plus, by the way, I'm drawing a wage 
in director's fees over the next years to mentor and guide you guys to keep growing this business. You know, I stepped out when we had 55 guys on the tools. It kept growing until we had 120 guys. Yeah, there's a rocky road there um, up and down, but that's, you know, it kept on growing. Again, it's not a straight trajectory. It's up and down, like I showed you on that picture before. We grew through guidance, and regardless of the ups and downs, the beautiful thing was I'm still earning money. You know, I'm earning my set 120 grand plus I'm getting paid back from five years in equity. Plus, when we're running up, I'm getting dividends. When I'm running down and things are rocky, no dividends. Bugger, got to survive only 180 grand a year from that business, plus whatever I'm using my other business's income. That's how I invested into other businesses. I'm sitting in a, a co-working space here, one of mine. I own this. I own three others. We're starting a fourth in, in Ballarat. Um, uh, we are expanding it out. Um, around the country. We've got several businesses. I was able to do that because I had free time and I funded it from the passive income I got from my construction business. That is the real secret source of what we teach. Guys, um, we have gone over time. I was aiming to do it in two hours. It's two hours and nine minutes. I hope you've got some value from watching this today. Um, if you have any questions, reach out to us. If you want any of the templates, um, if you want the book, anything else, look, I'm happy to share it with you guys. Um, the, the easy part is, is looking at it, reading the book, doing it. The hard part is actually making it work. Um, go out and give it a shot. If you struggle to do any part of it, come back to us and say, cool, look, I love the ideas. I can see some of them have worked. I don't want to spend years and years working them out. Can you help me accelerate how quickly I can put these into practice? Definitely. That's what we do. You can do all of this stuff and it will work for you. I figured it out the hard way. You can figure it out too if you're smart and capable. If you're not, by the way, we don't work with you. We don't work with everyone. Very picky about who we work with. I'm talking to people who are potential clients. They are smart and they are ambitious. That's who we work with. If you're smart and ambitious, you can take this stuff and work it out yourselves. I've given you the high-level stuff, you know, and I haven't held anything back. I'm happy to give you the full detailed templates. I'm happy to give you the books. Go for it. Run with it. Figure it out. You'll, you'll get there. I got there in, in three and a half years. I had 50 staff. If, you, if you're super smart and capable and dedicated, by the way, I was working 100-plus-hour weeks because I didn't have a wife and kids at the time. Um, so it, it sucked the life and soul out of me. If I was to do it at the level I wanted now with three kids, probably take me, you know, seven, eight, nine years. Yeah, no worries. I'll figure it out. I'll get there. If you want to do it sooner, we can help. That's what we do. You can figure this out yourself and I'll happily give you all the information for free. If you want to have it work out sooner, if you want to help with the execution, let us know because we do have programs for people who are smart and ambitious. So it's not reach out. You can, anyone can reach out. We'll put you in the, the yeah, watch the video stuff. No worries. If you want to be in the high-level programs, we're really picky about who we work with because we promise a lot of success um, and I can't deliver success for everyone. Um, I can only deliver success. You can't, you, can't, you can't turn losers into winners. It's one of my favourite sayings these days. Um, now, if you're not one of the guys we work with, it doesn't make you a loser automatically, but um, you know, like my psychometric testing for recruitment, not everyone who was going to make a great chippy could do the tests but we only hired people who could do the tests. I'll only work with guys who I determine to be winners because I know that I can help winners win more. I can help winners be better. Um, so please, you don't have to feel bad that you're a loser if we say, look, we won't work with you because we are really picky. We have a very specific criteria. But our aim is to help the guys that we determine to be winners win more because when you cook with the right ingredients, you can achieve amazing results. Any questions, reach out. Guys, I hope you have a fantastic day. See you later.